As you hear sounds coming up in your head, thoughts, you simply listen to them as part of the general noise going on, just as you would be listening to the sound of my voice, or just as you would be listening to cars going by, or to birds chattering outside the window. So look at your own thoughts as just noises. This is Billy Hansen, and welcome to another episode of Sauce Talk, a podcast about sports and the mind and trying to live well in general. Quick announcement, my new book, Harder Than I Thought, Easier Than I Feared, Sports, Anxiety, and the Power of Meditation, is now set to come out on January 25th. I have moved up the release date, and it's coming out very soon. The book was written for young athletes and hopefully will be helpful and useful to other young athletes who are trying to carve out a successful and meaningful athletic career that ultimately sets up a productive transition out of sports. So if you're a young athlete or you know a young athlete who might be interested, you should head to billyhansen.net forward slash book or click the link in the show notes to pre-order a copy that will be coming out soon. The book focuses on my mental difficulties in college athletics and how meditation and other mental training helped me recover. And I also summarize all of my ideas and thoughts about playing sports and how that relates to life in general. And I summarize other great books. And I'm really proud of the book, and I hope that it helps other young athletes. Today's podcast is an interview with Max Gordon. And I'm not going to spoil the story I'm going to let Max tell you himself. It's truly an amazing story, and I'm so grateful to Max for being so open and honest and detailed about the whole story. It's a story about a near-death experience and the death of a loved one and overcoming trauma and depression and finding true joy in sports and life, and then the most unbelievable baseball story of walking on to a high-powered Division I school and ultimately making the starting lineup and starting in the College World Series and having multiple diving catches on SportsCenter Top 10 plays. If you leave this episode, this two-and-a-half-hour episode, wanting more of Max, there's been a book written about his story, which I also link to in the show notes. So, without further delay, here is Max Gordon. Okay, Max Gordon, welcome to Sauce Talk. Thank you for joining me. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so usually I have um, like an outline built for the the episode. Tonight, all I have is a tall glass of wine, and I want you to explain to me how you got from the from throwing me BP when I was a sophomore in high school after you had dropped out of your JC to starting in the College World Series and ending up on Sports Center top 10 plays. So we can, um, that's a little bit of a spoiler, but we can move through that. And I just want to, it's kind of cool that, to do this on a podcast because I haven't really connected with you since you were my coach back then. So I think that'll be fun. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure, man. It was, uh, it was a long journey, but uh, um, yeah, you, you gave sure. the shortest version of it. <laughs> for sure. Okay, so let's start actually, were you born in Ashland? No, I was actually born, uh, so I was born in Sacramento, California, and then uh, when I was one year old, 
Um, my folks, they didn't want to raise their kids in the city. So we moved to a really small, small town, um, about, um, about an hour south of Ashland. So just right into the California border. And, um, yeah, we were raised, I was wearing Wranglers and cowboy boots and I grow, I grew up in tiny little town. I had like, uh, I think like 30 kids in my, in my eighth grade class. So, wow. uh, and that's, that's with like four towns going to the same school. So, um, real small, tight knit community. Um, okay. so just definitely kind of the blue collar ranching type folks. Okay. And then why did you end up, how did you end up in Ashland? For high school. So that's actually kind of a funny story because, um, we, so my brother and me and my dad, we would all, uh, we would all work on the yard on Saturdays and the yard is five acres of land. And so my dad would be out there with a chainsaw and he'd be logging out the property. And my brother and I would be, would be picking up branches, picking up rolls of wood and stacking them. Uh, me and my brother would split the wood and then we'd sell cords of wood, uh, for firewood for, for everybody in, the, in the winter. And so we're out there busting our butts. Um, and I mean, we, we did a lot. It was a really long day of just like logging out the property. Mm. Um, and, my dad was finally like, all right, you know what? Like we worked really hard today. Let's all go out to dinner. Um, and there's two restaurants, um, in, in town at the time, uh, there's Bob's ranch house, which closes at like five. And there's, uh, there's this Mexican restaurant that I think closes at five too. Mm. Um, so it's like five thirty, And so we go to Bob's, it's closed. We go to the Mexican joint, it's closed. So the two, <laughs> You know, we're not going to drive 45 minutes over the hill to find a restaurant. And so that was kind of like the, the straw that broke the camel's back. He's like, that's it. You know, like <laughs> everything's closed around here. We just got done working. Like I want to go out and have a dinner. And, uh, they've always been thrilled with Ashland, uh, my, my folks. So, uh, you know, and then just like the, the quality of education, the school there is just so, so incredible. So, um, yeah, that, that really just kind of got the ball rolling was that, that one instance was like that, you know, they've always been looking at moving to Ashland, but that was the, that was the final thing. It's like, you know, it's, it's time to move on. Like our boys, we raised good boys. It's time, it's time to, uh, it's time to go. You know, the, the, the thing is like when they were thinking about moving to Ashland straight from Sacramento, when I was really young, they saw some, my dad saw some guy with like a mohawk. And he was like, no, my boys aren't getting raised in the city ever. <laughs> so that's why I grew up wearing Wranglers and cowboy boots. Mm, for sure. But, you know, once, once we had the, once we had the ground, the ground rules set, then we were able to move to Ashland. Okay. And what were sports like in your tiny town before you moved growing up? Um, I mean, I think it was kind of similar to, to most kids. It was, you know, if, uh, if it was wintertime, you'd bring a basketball on the bus. If it was, uh, springtime, you bring your bat and your glove, uh, and, you know, in, in the fall, you bring a football. And so we always play. Um, but I mean, the, the town was so small that we never had, like, we never had an organized football team. So, um, I didn't really play football until my freshman year of high school at Ashland. Okay. And then, um, you know, we, we had a, a little league, but it wasn't uh, big enough to be a part of like the actual little league where we could make it on TV to the World Series. 
Mm. Um, we we would just play like uh, local teams and towns from the area, mm-hmm. and um, that was pretty much it, man. We didn't have organized basketball either. Um, so so youth sports, it was pretty much little league, and then you you move on to Babe Ruth once you got older, and then um, it was high school. So so mainly a, a lot of people, uh, at least like organized sports, they they learned learned how to play organized basketball in junior high, but there was no real, there was no real sports. There was no travel teams, none of that. It was, um, you know, whatever season it is, is that's the sport you're playing. You don't really have many options. Okay. And what were your expectations like when you got to Ashland? Did you have any dreams of playing in college when you arrived? Was it, were you a ninth grader when you moved? Yeah. Yeah. So I moved, I moved as a freshman and, um, I, I, it's, it's hard to say cause I was really, um, I was really curious to, to see the level that I was at because I didn't know if I was very good. Like I came from such a small town. I didn't know, um, if, you know, it was going to translate and, um, you know, I, I, I kind of like the, the kids that I grew up with and like the the friends that, that I have down there, they're, they're really athletic and we're all really competitive. Um, so I kind of figured like, it's going to be pretty similar. If not like, you know, you, you like to, you like to be the small town kid that thinks he's pretty good. Um, but I mean the, you remember the Seabrook brothers, like those guys were good. So I, I, th- I think I kind of hit the perfect, the perfect age and the perfect group because, um, when I moved to Ashland, it was just kind of very similar, uh, as far as like the sports goes, it was very, very similar people that I was interacting with you know, they were, they're competitive, they were fun and like really wanted to, to succeed in like athletics. Yeah, so, uh, um, for sure. But yeah, I, I don't, it, it was really kind of hard to measure because I, I kind of figured that I was going to be the runt of the litter. Mm. Okay. And when did you first start playing varsity? You played football and baseball, right? Yeah. Okay. And what, when did you break into varsity in both sports? Um, so I played, I played varsity as a sophomore in high school. And um, my, I decided after, after my sophomore year of high school, I was going to put all my eggs into that basket and not play football anymore, which turned out to be like a huge uh, – like problem with me because as soon as fall started and uh, football was going on, uh, you know, I'm sitting there watching all my friends play football and I'm just like on the sidelines cheering them on. And um, I I remember going to coach hall, uh, our head coach and asking him like, Hey, can, is it too late? You know, after like the second game of the year, it was like, like I I have to play. I want to play. I can't sit here and watch anymore. I got to play. Mm-hmm. And he was just like, you know, you got to do four weeks of non non contact practice, and then you get like a week of padded practice. He's like, by that time, we got one game left, and we're into the postseason. So it was just really like, no, it's too late. Um, which was a real bummer because that that was a gut check, you know, thinking that because um, I mean, baseball was definitely the the thing that I. That I deemed most important, but let me um, I'm sorry, don't mean to interrupt. But what happened yeah. your sophomore year in baseball that influenced that decision? What was the year you guys won state with Sam Gaviglio, right? Were you on that? Yeah, team? yeah, that was my that was my senior year. 
Oh, okay, yeah, okay. So, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, so after your sophomore year, season. after your sophomore year, you you must have had a good sophomore baseball season and wanted yeah. to just train for baseball. Is that what happened? Yeah, it was actually it was, it's actually like really funny how all that transpired because after my sophomore year, I I did pretty well um and I was just thinking like, okay, like if I can do, you know, everybody tells you your junior year in high school is like, that's the year that you get, you know, recruited really like senior year. You're kind of like, you're waiting a little bit too long. It's, it's, it's not too late, but it's getting to, to the end of being too late for a good college. Yeah. So I was really like, okay, you know, like I want to go to, to a really good college and, uh, you know, play for a really good baseball team. So I'm going to put all my eggs in that basket and I'm going to, I'm going to play um, just baseball all year round. I'm going to do like this fall baseball thing, which turned up to like ended out being a total flop. There was like only a couple teams in the league. We didn't even play very many games. It was just not a good deal. Yeah. Um, and then, so I have all this pressure that I'm just like continuously building up on myself. You know, I didn't play football so I could focus on baseball. And, um, I ended up just sucking my junior year of baseball. <laughs> like, mm. you know, like I, yeah. I think I hit like 220, you know, in in Oregon, Oregon high school baseball, which is just like a joke. I, I was, <laughs> I was just so far in my head, just trying way too hard, you know, just just trying to like, trying to make everything happen, and it, it was I was really just getting in my own way, making it a lot harder on myself. That's fascinating. I actually can relate to what you're saying. So I didn't end up playing football. I I was debating every single season. And my rationalization was I want to play. I mean, back then it was I want to go D1, but, you know, I just wanted to play in college in either basketball or baseball. I didn't want to get hurt. Um, and I don't know if that actually ended up paying off. Like I got a scholarship, things ended up working out, but I, what you mentioned about the pressure of, okay, you skipped football. So now you got the pressure to really go off in the sport that you're trying to get recruited in. I can relate to that too. And I think, I think coach Hall will probably listen to this. He'll probably love this, but I have a recurring nightmare to this day of, well, it's not even a nightmare. It's actually a really fun dream, but it's a, it's actually more of a nightmare when I wake up, it's right before my senior season and I decided to play football and I'm super pumped. And the whole dream, I'm getting ready. And then I wake up and it's like, oh my God, I'm 27. <laughs> and it's, so I don't know if I'll ever not be haunted by that. Um, so you didn't have a good year, junior year. Did you play Mustangs that summer? Um, no. Okay. No, the uh, the Mustangs, um, they didn't know I existed still, um, mm. which is, that's another funny, like Sandy Kinsinger story. But um <laughs> Yeah, like him and I always would go back and forth on like he he would say like I was too scared to come play for him and I was like you didn't ever call me you know you <laughs> called all the other Ashland guys but you didn't call me, um, so no that's uh no no Mustangs I played uh I played with old old Dave Tigerson Dave Sebrel on the on the Legion team, mm-hmm. um I want to say um our Legion our Legion team. And Babe, or no, it wasn't. Yeah, it was Legion at that time. But um, we were really good. Like we we started um, we started winning state pretty pretty consistently in the summers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so leading into leading into senior year, we kind of like played all these kids all the time. Um, 
So that I think that was a lot of a. It, it was kind of a a moment where we all knew that we could do it, and we just had to put it together during the senior year. Right, right. So then you decided to play football senior year, of course. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So uh, decided to play football senior year, um, and that was uh, that. That was one of those seasons that just like. Uh, it's, it's just going to like stick with me forever. And like the, the coaching staff that we had was unbelievable. Um, you know, we had, we had coach K in his, his final season, um, coach Hall, uh, who's just a legend now at Ashland high school. And, um, <clears throat> yeah, just like guys that have been around the program forever and they've just like wanted to create, uh, you know, like this, this dream, uh, in Ashland and like, we're, you know, you're very familiar with like how, how Ashland works. Like we're just, we're just not going to get the kids. Like we just don't have the population of, of kids, uh, that are going to measure up against like massive schools, like the, the big Portland schools, yeah. um, you know, or even like North Medford, they're, they're just gonna, you know, likely wipe the floor with it us you know just bigger stronger kind of tougher kids um but you know we've we've always you know like i feel like this coaching staff always had this this dream of of uh you know getting everybody to really like buy into uh what what they've preached for so long and um i think the i think the thing that gave us a lot of success that that year was we didn't have a single superstar on the team. You know, we had, uh, Lewis at, at running back, you know, he was pretty good. And we had, uh, Matt Dirks at quarterback that was, you know, steady. He was good. He was fine, but yeah. we didn't have a single guy that, um, you know, everybody, everybody could gravitate to as like being the guy. So we, we were all just like a lot of Joe Schmoes, just a bunch of random dudes that like, were just okay at football. Um, but we were coached extremely well and we were like outrageously disciplined and we just did what we were asked to do. And I think that led us to a 11 straight win season. Like we went 11, our first loss was, uh, in the playoffs. Mm. So it's pretty fun. Yeah, that's amazing. And can you tell me about the coach Kitchell experience that season and how that affected you? Yeah. So, um, Coach Kitchell was, uh, you know, he was, he was having his bouts with cancer and he was, he was, you know, we knew that something was kind of off. Um, when he was, he was sick, he would like miss a day, he'd be at the doctor or something. And then, um, you know, the, the coaches kept it pretty quiet. Um, but you know, at one point coach K was just not there and we didn't really know about it. And, um, uh, our head coach, coach Hall said, you know, like coach, coach K is in the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's like cancer is back and it's like cancer, cancer was really, uh, rearing its head this go around. And we all kind of shrugged it off. Like, well, you know, he's beat it, I think twice. Uh, but you know, he's definitely, he's already beat it once. So, you know, not a big deal. Like this is the toughest guy. And, um, you know, it's also like this guy's a legend. Like he just won't die. Like he won't die. Like I'll die before coach K ties. 
Yeah. Um, you know, like, like nothing, nothing can hurt this person. Um, so, so we didn't really think too much about it. And also the, you know, the, the way that the, the coaches talked about it, it, it sounded like, you know, they didn't want it, want it to get us down or get it in, get it into our heads too much. So we just kind of went along with it. And then, um, I think, so he, he was in the hospital for, for a little bit and, you know, we start, we start thinking a little, a little bit more strongly about it. Like why, well, he's still in the hospital, you know, it's been a few days, it's been a week. Um, and I actually had a, I got hurt, uh, in one of our, our games. And, uh, so I had a really high, bad high ankle sprain, like my right leg, a uh, couple of our other linebackers decided to jump on my leg, uh, <laughs> when I was tackling somebody. So, um, I had this really bad high ankle sprain. So I'm like driving my car with my left foot. I, I got like my shifter in between my legs. I'm doing that one. Mm-hmm. Um, and so since I couldn't really practice, I could hardly walk. Um, me and two other teammates, Jeff Peters and Talon Haggard, we decided we were going to go, instead of go to practice, we we're going to go see Coach K at, um, at the hospital. So, you know, we, we drive on in there. And, you know, all three of us are hurt, obviously. Otherwise, we'd have to be at practice. But um, we all go in there, and um, Coach K's on his bed, and he's got his wife there. And uh, we kind of snuck in on him. The door was open, and uh, he was, you know, he wasn't, or no, he wasn't in bed. He was, uh, he was sitting at a table eating, like, in his room. And he was like kind of slouched over. She's like kind of helping him, you know, move around, do some stuff, like get some food and whatever. And uh, it was just like, he didn't look like the the person that we saw on the football field every day. And um, like we caught him in the act. Like we caught him, uh, uh, for lack of like better term, like we caught him being weak. Like we mm-hmm. never, like we'd never seen this, this man be weak ever and like because he wouldn't allow it not not only on himself but like on us yeah um as like young men so it was it was really one of those things like walked in the door and i saw i saw him like that and i was like oh my goodness like this is bad this is really bad um so we talked for a little while and of course as soon as he recognizes there like he stood straight up and it was like no problem. Like he just put the face right back on. Wow. It was it, it was pretty incredible. And you know we visited for thirty minutes or so. And um, I remember leaving. So like I, I was like kind of the last one to walk out the door. And uh, he just kind of like, hey Max. And I turn around and he goes, I love you, man. And like. When I turned around and he said that, I could just see like he, he took the face back off, like he was weak, like mm. he, like he was struggling, and it was, it was just like the immediate, like sign to me that he basically just told me like, this is the last time we're gonna talk, mm. like he knew it, like and of course he wasn't gonna say it, he wasn't like no one was gonna talk about it, but like he knew like, the this is the end of the road. Um, so that was, uh, that was pretty tough. That was a really long car ride home from, uh, from Medford. Uh, you know, and then, and then of course got to go to practice and we get there kind of towards the tail end and coach hall has us stand up and 
talk about our visit with Coach K, and I got I got to lie to the entire team about how he's doing great and he's excited to be back on the field, and hmm. you know, but like in my in my heart, I just know, you know, like I'm I'm not gonna tell all my best friends this. Yeah. Like, at what, like, at what point? Like, at what point of the? Do you remember what point of the season that was? Were you guys gearing up for playoffs? When, when was that? Yeah. So this is. Um, this is uh, a week before playoffs. Hmm. So, or actually, no. The, yeah, th- yeah. This is like our we're going to playoffs. So it's like our week leading up to our first playoff game. Um, which we ended up, we ended up winning is actually kind of a, a legendary, a legendary game. Um, coach K is the, the first, and I think the only person to ever watch a Ashland high school football game from his house, like a live feed. They got a live feed from, from the field to his house. Uh, and this is when he was, a, he was on a hospice at this point. Um, so he was, you know, they were just kind of playing the waiting game over at the Kitchell house. Hmm. Um, did you all know that he was on hospice during that game or is there still hope in the locker room? No, no, we, we knew he was on hospice. Okay. Um, no, but this, this game, like they, they could make a movie about it. It's, it's insane. Um, so, so we've got this legendary coach. He's, he's at his, he's at his house and, um, we're, we're playing Corvallis high school in the first round of playoffs and we haven't won a playoff game since like 99. So it's been like, hmm. you know, almost 10 years. And, uh, at halftime, I think we were down five or something like that. Um, it, it was close and coach hall is talking to us and we're going through the scheme at halftime and, you know, we're doing the X's and O thing and coach Hall's like going to light a fire under our ass and send us off to go win a game. And his phone rings and, um, he, he looks at it, which like the whole thing is crazy because coach Hall should never look at his phone. But I think maybe cause he knew coach K was probably watching the game. Like maybe for some reason he answered the phone and mm-hmm. it's coach K and he's talking to him for like 10 seconds. And then all of a sudden he puts his phone on speaker and here comes coach K the same, same voice, the same bravado, the whole thing that we've always heard. Um, you know, he's not, he's not some weak dude in his, you know, on his deathbed, uh, at his house. He's, he's there. And, um, he's like, listen, listen guys, like this is what we're going to do. And he, he calls the play. He goes, he goes, we're, we're kicking off in the, in the second half. Uh, Daniel, you're going to, you're going to do a surprise onside kick, something that I don't think we've ever worked on. Like we never practiced this. So we're going to go surprise onside kick in the second half of playoffs. And he, and then he, he says, uh, he says, Hutch he says, you're going to recover it right before it goes out of bounds. And, you know, Coach K was a big, big individualization. We would visualize, and he would walk us through every single play. It was odd how often he was right when we would do visualization before the games. Um, wow. But so so he, he has this whole, like, elaborate thing on how we're going to win. And then he says, we're going to march it down the field, and, you know, we're going to run it in there, and we're going to score, and then the defense, we're just going to hold them. We're just going to finish this thing off. We're, we're not going to let them score. It's over. It's ours. We got this. You know, full confidence, 
Like, mm. like this is exactly how it's supposed to go. So of course we go out there, surprise onside kick. Daniel executes perfectly. Hutch recovers it literally right when it goes out of bounds. You can look up the video. <laughs> so he, um, so he called exactly what the onside kick was going to be. Yeah. That's like a, it's like a psychedelic thing, man. Like it, crazy, it's crazy, bro. Yeah. Dude, <laughs> dude, he, he was insane. He was so good at this stuff. And then of course, what do we do? We go walk it right down the field and we run it in and then, um, you know, cause he was the defensive coordinator forever. Like that was always his gig. He was the defense guy. He, um, we have like a minute 30 left. We're up four. So like a touchdown, like they have to score a touchdown to win. We snap, of course we snap it over Sam Gavilio's head and down it on our own two yard line. So it's first and goal from the two, uh, with like a minute 30 left, you know? And so the defense puts together this like crazy series where like Will Bowers bats a ball down in the corner of the end zone. Like I stuffed a guy at the line. Um, Sorry, I missed Jock. it. So, what's, so the minute 30 left, what's the score again? Uh, we're up four. Okay, and they have the ball on the two. They have the ball on the two. Okay. First and goal, and like we Coach K's defense just like pulls this rabbit out of the hat, and we put together this crazy four-down series. And like Will bats down like a perfect pass in the corner. Um, like I stuffed the dude at the line. Josh Skarmanach and Jack Rasmussen like – uh, stuff them the next play and then they fumble the snap on fourth down when they go for a keeper mm. and we recover and we just take a knee and win the game mm. and um, Coach K passed away that night after wow. the game was over Wow, what was that locker room experience like after the game? Well, locker room well, we didn't know it until the next morning But like after you won so, But um, after we, oh man, yeah. it was pandemonium Yeah You know it was wild. Yeah. And then Coach K passed away that night, you said. Yeah. Yeah, Coach wow. K passed away that night. So we all uh, we all went to the field. <laughs> it was actually it, it's, it's kind of odd. Nobody, nobody ever said they were going to the field, but we all kind of heard the news through the grapevine. And all of a sudden, you know, I, I was one of the first couple people there. I was just like sitting there. And pretty much there's 50 guys just hanging out the field. I don't think anybody said a word for about two hours. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's heavy, man. Um, yeah. what an incredible story. What a, what a, what an incredible way to spend his last night and the kind of impact that he left. I mean, I didn't, you know, he was the fourth grade teacher at Bellevue and I actually never had him as a teacher, but even his presence at Bellevue was always really strong and, you know, he would always check in with me and I mean, he just kind of oozed virtue and respectability. And so, yeah, let's talk about like a well-lived life, a life that impacts others. I think there's not many people that I've encountered who've made that kind of impact in their community. So that's amazing. And it's cool how, you know, I hope they're still doing that actually, the, the way that we all wore K's in our jerseys and all sports and honored him and kind of tried to channel some of what he stood for after he passed, you know? Um, yeah. Cause it was, I thought that was cool the way that trickled down to my class. You know, I was five years after you, I think, or maybe even more. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, that's, that's intense, man. Yeah. It was crazy. And you know, like, I mean, it's, it's one of those things. It's like, it, it might've been a little childish at the time, but me and, uh, five, five of my really close friends at Ashton high school, we all, we all decided to burn a K into our forearms. So I'm sitting here right now looking at this K I have on my forearm. Like I'm a brand? Proud. Yeah, we branded wow. ourselves. <laughs> wow. Uh, so yeah, Scarmanach did it with a torch. Uh, uh, Josh? Do that. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't surprise me. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I know. Me neither. It was hilarious. <laughs> it was not funny. But um, yeah. But no, there's like, it's it's something I'm I'm actually very proud of. You know, and yeah. I'm also very proud of the, the other guys that have it. And, um, yeah, you know, it, it kind of led into my senior project, um, which you've seen the, the next time you're for some reason at, at the high school, uh, there's this big grizzly paw on the back of the stadium. It says class effort, tradition, family. Have you ever mm-hmm. seen that? Yeah. It's on by the track, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that that that's mine. Okay. Um, and inside of the paw it says "Forever Coach K." Hmm. That's, and, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, and so I actually got really upset because I went by there uh, last year, and the sign was just like crumbling. All the paint was kind of washed off from the weather, and it just looked terrible. And hmm. I felt ashamed of something that like I made that looks like this, like in a public space. So, um, I didn't call Carl. I didn't call anybody. I just went down and I bought paint and I went and chipped off all the crappy paint and I just repainted the whole thing. It took me two days Mm. and I'm just out there. I'm just out there at the high school on a ladder, just repainting this thing. And, um, yeah, I'm 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 very proud of uh of that sign, you know, for like all the all the random things that I've done in my life. I'm I'm that's that's one of the things that I'm I'm always going to like keep an eye on to make sure it's it's in prime condition cuz like I really want to honor coach K and you know, if that's if that's my one gesture, then I'm going to make sure it's right. Yeah, that's beautiful, man. That's really really great. Moving on from there, so if I'm not mistaken, your accident came that winter is that right yeah yeah that's right okay yeah can you walk me through that yeah so um wow what a crazy winter um so christmas uh yeah so christmas that year my my grandpa he was you know the the inspiration of the family he's kind of the the guy that always gets the family together, uh, you know, he's the head of the table. He's, you know, he's the guy. He's got all the antics. He's the funny guy. Uh, he's the smart guy. Like, he's he's really the backbone of our family. Um, mm. He ended up passing on Christmas um, that year. Mm. Um, so that, that was really that was really tough. You know, we, we kind of lost a lot of our identity as a family uh, by losing him. And um, as a Christmas present... Um, my parents got my brother and I a overnight trip to Bachelor. Um, so ski park that, you know, my brother and I, we haven't been able to spend a ton of time together. Me with sports, him, uh, he had three jobs at the time. So 
they decided that it would be a good for us to like reconnect and um, go out to, you know, go out to bend snowboard at a really nice mountain, you know, and this is like, this is a treat for us, for, for the guys. Like we're, we're always too cheap to, I mean, my brother and I would be too cheap to buy like lift tickets. So what we would do is just like drive up into the mountain and like build a jump and just hike it all day. Mm. So, um, we're really excited that we, you know, we get to go do this. They got us a hotel room, the whole thing. So, um, so we go up there, we have a blast, uh, great day of snowboarding and we're coming home and we're getting right, uh, right before, actually right after Eagle point coming into white city. Uh, the road is, it's a dotted line and it, it's a like the road crests, like it's a very slight hill that you can't recognize. Um, so like it's a long, like a prolonged hill. Um, so it was dark when we were driving back. And so I don't remember this. This is just kind of like what I've been told is we were going to pass a car and little did we know there was an oncoming car coming towards us. But because it was dark, their headlights haven't quite crested over that hill and they were coming towards us, you know, the whole time. So as soon as those lights crested over the hill, um, my brother like realized like, oh my God, that's like, there's a car right there. So he slammed on the brakes, which like put us into it, like to get behind the car that we're trying to pass. So that puts us into a, into a spin and we ended up getting uh, T-boned by that oncoming car. Um, so I just remember crunch um, and I unbuckled my seatbelt. I opened the door and I passed out. I was just like gone. Hmm. Um, they found me in the middle of the street trying to breathe. Uh, I had both of my lungs were collapsed. Collapsed. Uh, my face was pretty beat up for smashing the the dashboard. Um, I had some internal internal bleeding, uh, lacerated spleen. Um, my brother was also uh, killed on impact. So, God, I'm I'm so sorry that happened to you, man. I mean, it's just it's hard to know what to say, but that is just so awful. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it it was a um, it was definitely a a perspective that I received uh, that night that uh, it, it's hard to explain, but I'm truly grateful for it. It's hmm. the best thing that's ever happened to me. Hmm. And when I when I say that, people people give me the weird look. But what it's happened hard. that night led to a lot of bad things, but like it also led to who I am today, which uh, I'm very happy to say um, something I'm proud of. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to know how to even get into that. I mean, like I, I just think about my own brother and um, that story as you were telling it, it just made my, my heart sink into my stomach. It's so tragic, but um 
we're going to get to happier times in this episode, just all the amazing things you've done, but how maybe could you articulate more what kind of shift that had for you? Was it a psychological shift, a spiritual shift? What, what was it? Um, I, I'd say both. Uh, I think, you know, it was definitely, definitely a psychological shift. Um, like I wasn't in good shape either. Um, right. You know, they, they, they fly to me to the hospital. Um, they had actually father Sean who read us our, our prayer before our football games. Uh, he showed up and he had to read me my final, uh, my final prayer. Wow. Um, because they thought, they thought I was going to, I was going to die that night. Was there a percentage that they uh, put on it to your family? Did they just say it was very unlikely? No, I mean, my parents, my parents version of the story is a lot scarier because, uh, you know, thankfully I, I wasn't awake for any of it. Well, I mean, I don't remember any of it, but, um, yeah, police officers showed up and they had both of our driver's license and they said, are you these kids' parents? And they said, yeah. You know, and they said, well, one of them's dead and the other one's about to die. So you better come with us to the hospital. Fuck that, yeah. man. I mean, it it was obviously you know a more elaborate story. They didn't say that, but right, you know, of course, that but, was that yeah. was the message, right? You know, so think about you know hanging out, having a glass of wine at night, you know, waiting for your kids to come home from the snowboarding trip, and somebody knocks on your door and drops that shit on you. Yeah, like that'll just, make you fucking lose your mind. That's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but yeah, I. I I was just presented with a lot of challenges as soon as I woke up. Um, they they drilled a hole in my brain, or not my brain. Uh, they might have. Um, <laughs> no, but they, they drilled a hole in my skull to release the, uh, the pressure that was building up in my brain. So they didn't want my brain to swell up and like swell into <clears throat> the inside of my skull and like cause brain damage. Um, they they had a bunch of tubes shoved down into my uh into my lungs they had a feeding tube um and yeah that that was just like keeping me alive um and it was really just like stay alive at this point um so i i did wake up twice uh and they ended up putting me back under uh they just like pumped me up with a bunch of stuff to put me to sleep but I, I heard that I woke up, pulled the stuff out of my mouth, like all the way out of my lungs and my mouth and started chucking nurses around. So that's insane. Wow. You just like <laughs> um, thrashing or yeah, I was just like Hulk. Like I didn't know. Apparently I just like, I woke up and I didn't know where I was and I started freaking out, hmm. you know? So, um, yeah, coach hall and, uh, father Sean, uh, are jacked priest had to like strap me down onto my bed. Um, but yeah. So when I, when I truly woke up, when I start like, when I'm like coherent, um, I woke up, they asked me, uh, you know, the first thing out of my mouth was, where's my brother? And my dad said like, you have to calm down. And I was like, you have to tell me where he is right now. And, um, He's like, he's gone. Um, you know, so I freaked out and started throwing stuff. And, and they uh, they put me back under. 
because they couldn't let my body temperature heat up too much because it could like it could increase uh more problems and like again cause brain damage so so if i had any type of uh, episode they're gonna put me under they had they had that dial they had that dial in their hand ready to ready to toss me back under um so i woke up again and um you know this it it was kind of it was kind of ready to Ready to ready to meet the facts at this point and you know face reality, um, you know because I was living in La La Land in my dreams that they kept giving me. Um, so I was in a coma for about ten days total, um, and you know the first thing the doctor that was really kind of like the head of keeping me alive was saying you know like okay Max you have uh, severe brain damage. Or not severe brain damage, but you have you have you have some brain damage. Like you're not you're not going to be all there. I mean, I went and did some testing at UC Davis months later, and turns out I've got a permanent short term memory loss, um, which well, isn't. I I don't know. I, do you notice I that still? Sometimes, like all sometimes, I, I feel like everybody does though. Like you walk into a room, and then you just like stand there, like, okay, what did I come in here for? You know? Oh yeah. Well, I have that too. If that makes you feel better. <laughs> yeah, that, that's what I mean. It's like, well, I think I was doing that before, but right. whatever. Um, but yeah, that's that's kind of, you know, that's that's the that's the most of it. Um, they said, you know, the doctor said, okay, you know, you also have a, a lacerated spleen. So, you know, what that means is uh, a spleen is so it's so thin. It's such a thin organ. It can't hold the stitch. So it has to heal naturally. So you can't like stitch it up if it, if it gets broken. Um, and like you can have your spleen taken out and you're fine. Um, like you can live. Um, so what they said was um, we're just going to let it heal on its own. And uh, they're like there's an option that we could take it out. But uh, we think that you know it's going to heal fine on its own. He said but in the meantime like there is a problem. If you fall down a flight of stairs or if you um, do whatever, like if you bump it pretty good, like if you take a take a hit on that area in your spleen, you could reopen this and it doesn't like um, it's not going to clot very well. Like you, like with the drugs that I'm that, that I'm on, like you could bleed to death. So don't do anything stupid. Don't. Like, if you fall down, come here right now. Like, come to the hospital immediately. Hmm. Um, you know, and I was like, well, what about, like, diving for a baseball? And they're like, no. Hmm. And that's where that conversation started. It's like, no, I don't think you understand. You you can't play sports anymore. Um, and I, I just, like, stared at him like, well, that's not true. Um, and they're like, no, if you, if you get hit in the head, with with a baseball like a line drive or something like that or somebody hits you in the head with a fastball it could be lights out for you and they're like not just you know in the next month or so like for the rest of your life and i was like okay well like tell me something that scares me like i'm not like i'm going to play baseball i don't know what you want from me but like i'm not like this isn't this isn't the conversation that we're having 
Um, but yeah, he, he was pretty adamant on me not playing anything again. He's like, your head is messed up. And like, how did you, how did your parents feel about that? Um, I mean, they were so scared, you know, like they, um, they, they agreed with the doctor, you know, and they, they made sure to like, keep me under wraps, mm-hmm. you know, um, understandably so yeah yeah they made sure that i wasn't going to do anything stupid um i was always closely monitored because i mean when i was in high school i was just going to do stuff it's like always the guy that's like doing stupid crap yeah um so yeah they they made sure that that was not happening okay but you you ended up playing um how did you end up persuading everyone to let you play your senior year? Well, after, so the, the spleen thing went away. Uh, like it healed up. They, yeah, it, it healed up fine. And they green lighted me on that. Um, and then I guess they just kind of changed their mind on the brain thing because that wasn't, uh, um, that wasn't in the conversation much anymore. But what the big problem was, was I had pneumonia after I got home from the hospital. Mm. Um, I think one of the ventilator tubes might have like leaked into my lungs. And because they were just like, they had this big like needle syringe that they were like jamming into my back, into my lungs when I was in the hospital. There was like sucking out this gunk. It was disgusting. And they'd do it like two or three times a day because I just like couldn't breathe at all. Like uh, my lungs were just like filling up with liquids. So that was like the biggest problem is like I could do permanent damage to my lungs if I'm out running around with pneumonia. Um, so I got, I finally got cleared by the doctor um, the day of our first practice. I set an appointment at noon that day. We had practice at two. Uh, no, we had practice at four. Appointment at noon. And I basically like sat in there and like tried to beg him and I tried to like fake, like I didn't still have pneumonia. Like, like he's got the stethoscope on my chest and he's like listening to me breathe. And I'm trying to like somehow make it sound like my lungs don't sound terribly messed up. (laughs) Um, so, but he gave me the, he gave me the green light, gave me a note. Of course, my dad was at practice that day. And I ran, I, I go to like run onto the field and he's got to grab me and hold on to me and be like, you're not allowed to be here. Like he, it was like a sting operation for my dad. Like he knew I was going to show up to practice and practice. And, um, but he also was like a hundred percent sure our doctor wasn't going to let me go. And, you know, I was ready for him though. I had that, I had that doctor's note in my back pocket and I just like, boom, put it in his face and ran on the field. Hmm. So yeah, I was able to play. I got the, I got the thumbs up. They let me go. Yeah. And then it was a special season in many ways. I'm sure it felt, I can't imagine how grateful you were to be playing again after it was in doubt and you guys had a championship season. So you want to just take me briefly through that season? Yeah. You know, that season, like after, after my junior year, putting all that pressure on myself and then everything that just happened, um, I could care less about baseball. 
you know, which is like so opposite of, of what, hmm. what I that's was. Fasc- that's know, fascinating. Yeah. It's like your junior season, you're so, you're so caught up in scholarship and stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. I was so overwhelmed in, in doing well and like, you know, making the season about, about me and like, I'm going to do this stuff. I'm going to put up these crazy numbers. I'm going to get it. I'm going to get mine. I'm going to get my scholarship. Yeah. You know, and then everything happened to me and it just like, it created that perspective that like, I don't care anymore. Like, I really just don't like, I, I just am enjoying this time with my teammates. Like ever since that day, ever since our, our priest read me my final prayer, it's like, dude, I'm alive. Hmm. Like, like, what am I freaking out about baseball for? Like, I'm alive. Like, this is incredible. Like, I've, I've got breath in my lungs. I've got, I got a heartbeat. Like, this is insane. Hmm. You know? So like, you have that perspective, you have that understanding, like, man, I don't care about baseball. Like, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna go out here and I'm gonna have a lot of fun with my buddies and uh, I'm gonna try and win because like, I'm still crazy competitive. And so that's really all I put that's all I put my effort and my energy and my focus into was like, just win the game. Like, that's all I want to do. Like if I, if I do bad personally, it doesn't matter. I just want to win. And we won a lot of games. Like we, we ended up uh, winning the state championship and like, funny enough, I had the best year um, that I had ever had in high school. Like, I hit like 430 or something, which like for me, after hitting like 220, hmm. that's pretty dang good. Yeah. You know, you know, especially a guy like I played. So I was coming when I, when I finished the, the practice story about the pneumonia, I was just on the tail end of like getting rid of pneumonia. Well, I ended up getting it before I like again, before I got rid of it. So I had another month and a half of pneumonia going into the season. Um, so, I mean, like I didn't get to practice, you know, I've got this whole, this whole fall that I built up in my junior year and I'm all ready to go and I'm so dialed and perfected. And then I just totally flop and then everything terrible happens to me my, going into my senior year. I don't get to practice. I don't get to whatever, you know, do all this preparation work. I just go out there to have a little bit of fun, hang out with my buddies and just compete and win. And I, I end up having, you know, the best personal year that I've ever had. Yeah. You know, and we, we did end up putting that season together where we were able to win the state championship. Yeah. It's amazing. I mean, it's part of what this podcast is about is about kind of the, the overlap between sports and the mind and life and you know, one of the things that I've been arguing based on my college basketball experience is that the mental side is very, very important. And every athlete kind of knows that, but it's still easy to take for granted, right? Um, so this is a, a, a direct lesson that any athlete can take from from your story is that the way you approached the game mentally, spiritually with your this different attitude made a huge difference in your performance. Um, but it wasn't because what well, you weren't doing. It's it's there's subtle ways that you can try to manipulate things. Like you can say that you're just going to care about winning and care about having fun, but really you're hoping in the back of your mind to have a great batting average and to put up these numbers. But 
when you really let go and just play the game the right way, usually things happen. They, you know, they fall into place. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you're so right. Like it is, it is really hard to say, you know, cause you know, everybody's like, Oh, you know, I'm just, I'm just playing to have fun or, you know, like, but really, are you, <laughs> you, right. you know what I mean? Like, like everybody wants their, their little piece. Um, yeah. So yeah, like having, you know, and that that's like one of the one of the things I mean about like it being the greatest thing that ever happened to me is I don't know if I ever would have realized that or like known that or like truly been able to like give into just playing to compete and have fun and enjoy my time uh, without that experience having to come to fruition. Yeah, you know that's fascinating, and I want to know some more questions about that when you go further down your path, um, I mean, this could already be a Cinderella story, but there's plenty more to go. <laughs> so let's, let's keep going here. So let's, yeah. I want to hear about recruiting out of high school. Were you getting any attention? Were you, was it even on your mind senior year? Were you even thinking about it? No attention. Um, I mean, it was, it was on my mind, but I really could kind of care less at the time. Like I knew I, I knew I wanted to play, uh, you know, college ball. Um, and I knew at that time it was going to be a junior college because no four-year schools knew who I was, um, mainly, but, um, also just like, I wasn't good enough. Um, mm -hmm. so I just knew that I needed to start looking into the junior college route and, um, yeah, no, nobody, nobody called. No one knew who I was, so it was just kind of me out there trying to sell myself to a couple college teams. And what JC did you end up picking? So I ended up going to Sierra College uh, down in actually uh, the Sacramento area. Okay. Hey, Max, one second. I'm going to get a little bit more wine. One second. No doubt. All right, I'm back. Uh, hold on, I'm grabbing another beer. Okay. I'm getting more wine. <laughs> All right. Okay, so how did your experience go um, at the JC? How did it How did it start out there, and how did you end up deciding to? Well, you can tell the story. So how did it go there? Um, it was it was good. It was tough. the The first day we had a hundred and I think ten guys trying out for for the team. Uh, so that was pretty nerve wracking, um, especially not, not, you know, going from Edna, California to Ashland and that being like a total shock to the system on how big Ashland is to me now. And then moving to, you know, Sacramento and living in Rockland, California. Um, you know, we got 110 dudes showing up for, for this tryout. And I'm sitting there like I made a huge mistake. Mm. Like, look at these guys. They're six foot three. They're jacked. They look like they're 30 years old. They can all probably throw a hundred. I'm like freaking out. Like, man, this is, this is going to be an uphill battle. Um, and I like that when I got into college that that's when, you know, baseball was really the only reason I was there. And it, it turned into kind of what I was my junior year, 
but it was not only like more determined and, and focused, but it was also much more driven. Like there, there's much more of a purpose behind why I was doing things the way that I was doing them and what exactly I was trying to accomplish. Um, so I lived, I lived with my folks, friends, uh, in their, in their like downstairs kind of basement area. Um, and it was like a 45 minute drive to, uh, to school every day. And we'd have weights at, I think six in the morning. So, I mean, I had some four, four thirty, four forty five wake ups cause I was never going to be late. Um, cause I just wasn't skilled enough to, you know, be a guy that was late. You know, I'm just yeah. not going to make, I'm not going to make this team if I'm the late guy, like I'm not that yeah. good. Right. Like I'm not that talented. Um, you like, I have to be on time to everything. I have to, you know, get all the signs. I have to learn all of the procedures and all the different ways, uh, you know, that we talk and, you know, like there's a lot of, a lot of stuff that goes into a new program and a new system that, uh, you're unfamiliar with that I was just very committed to being perfect at because I knew that those were the little things that was going to be my Achilles if I couldn't, if I couldn't execute on them. Mm -hmm. Um, so, I mean, I would, uh, I would, I leave the house at four forty-five in the morning, pretty much every day. And I would get to the weight room and we would lift. And then, um, I would go to, go to school and, um, was not a very good student, but I was there. Um, and, and then there would be like a three or a four hour gap between school and practice. And that's when I would just be at the cages all day. So I, I just would spend, I'd probably spend about eight hours on the field all day because we'd practice for about four of them and the other three or four, it would just be, be me by myself. Wow. So um, we had all the... Uh, um, all the equipment was locked up, all the tees and the balls and the buckets and everything. So I climbed every day after, after school, I'd climb over the, uh, the fence into this little, this little area we called the gap. It was between, it was this like fenced off area between our shed and our dugout. And it was just like this, this gap that you like, I could barely squeeze through. And so I climb over it. And I would take two buckets and I'd set them up on top of the dugout. And then I'd take a tee and I'd chuck it up on top of the dugout. And then I'd like, like, like army crawl my way back up on top of the dugout. I'd like pull myself up there. And then I would jump down off of the dugout with uh, these two buckets in my hand. And then I'd walk them into the, uh, walk them into the cage and I would just hit for hours. And All right, coach, I've got I've got a couple questions. So yeah, what yeah. do you, uh, do you, um, were you like, were you being noticed by teammates and coaches? Was there anyone else doing this? And how did your teammates and coaches react to this behavior? If they did notice what you were doing every day? Um, well, my teammates thought that I was kind of like, I was being like Rudy, you know, um, like the legend that made the Notre Dame football team. But like, really, a good I or kinda, a bad way? Uh, I mean, 
I was never, I mean, I don't know, probably, they probably talked, talked behind my back a good amount. Uh, and I don't, I don't blame them because I was that guy. I was that guy that was just going overboard. Like I was going crazy overboard. I was doing this stuff like, like what I'm telling you that I was doing, I did that every day for like <laughs> four straight months. I just did not stop. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, so they were probably like making fun of me behind my back, especially cause I didn't live, I like also lived by myself. I didn't live with any teammates. So, you know, it's not like I could build a reputation off the field. Like all they knew was this dude at practice. And were you and going like, to, were you, were you partying with your teammates and making connections and stuff or was it? Nope. No. Okay. Nope. I was clean as a whistle. I did was you, what, real quick. Did you party at all in high school? Dude, I didn't, I didn't drink till I was 21. Okay. I think someone told me that I, actually. Yeah. I, How come? I partied, but I didn't drink. I was always the crazy guy at the parties, but I was dead sober the whole time. My parents and I, so my parents, when we were really young, uh, I, I was probably like eight. Um, they, they told me and my brother, if you guys never drink, uh, you know, if you stay sober until you're 21 years old, you get to like, we'll pay for a trip anywhere in the world, anywhere you want to go. Hmm. And I was like, all right, you know, eight year old me done, like easy. Uh, so yeah, I, I never, never did it. My brother, on the other hand, failed at like 15. Like he was out, <laughs> he was, he was out of that bet. Yeah. Uh, how old, how much older was your brother than you? He was, uh, three years older. Okay. And I can relate to that. I was, I was very dedicated and I was the one in my friend group who didn't drink in high school. I ended up getting way too deep into drinking and early on in college, but that's just interesting that you stayed clean until you were 21. So, okay. So you're at your JC and you're grinding, not partying with the team. Um, and yeah. what, what did your coaches think about this, the stuff you're doing? Um, they, well, I, I didn't really know it was, it, was, it was a really tough read cause they also had, you know, a lot of other guys, uh, to keep an eye on. Um, so I'm really just like, I'm doing everything in my power to just like get myself right. And I'm not trying to be like flamboyant about it. I'm not trying to like, uh, you know, advertise myself. You're really just, just trying to get reps in, right? I'm just trying to work. I'm just trying to get here and I'm just trying to work. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and it was, it was actually a little embarrassing when I'd be jumping over this fence and jumping down off of the dugout every day. So I, I would kind of like try and hide because our head football or our head baseball coach, um, at Sierra, he would, he coached a flag football, uh, class, uh, you know, standard junior college stuff. Uh, he, he coached a flag football class, um, at the football field that like you could see from the football field to the baseball field. Um, and that was like a couple times a week. So apparently he caught, he saw me, uh, a few different times jumping out of the dugout with these buckets of balls. And the first, the first couple times he was like, okay, whatever. Like, it's just the new kid just trying to, you know, do whatever. And then he saw it for like another three weeks straight and was like, okay, that's enough. So <laughs> So, um, he went to, uh, he went to like home Depot or somewhere and, uh, cause it used to be a key lock. He got a, uh, like a, a number lock 
and gave me the number so I could, I didn't have to jump over the fence anymore. Mm. Um, so, uh, yeah, that, that fall, that, that, that entire fall was really nerve wracking because I didn't know really where I stood. Um, you know, I, I, I was invited to a lot of the, like all the fall games and stuff and I started in a few of them, but it was still like, you know, I'm, I'm a realist and I'm not, you know, I'm never going to think that, uh, I, I've made the team until I actually see it down on paper. So I'm still like pedal to the metal doing everything I can. I'm not taking a single, a single breath of air off. Like I'm going for it. Um, and, uh, you know, there's, there's this meeting, our, our head coach, um, you know, he's talking with the guys that are kind of, it's like probably the last 60 guys left. Like they've been making cuts periodic, periodically throughout the fall. And he's, you know, he's talking, he's, he gets, uh, he, he, he goes off script and he'll talk for four hours straight. Um, <laughs> and he was talking to the team and, uh, you know, he just kind of let it slip that, you know, like you guys don't understand what working hard is. He's like, you guys ever, you guys ever see Max Gordon, that little guy, that little guy that runs around here? He's like, that's what hard work looks like. That's the kind of guy I want on my team. That's why he's going to play for us this spring. That's why he's going to be wearing that uniform for us. And he just like announced that I made the team in front of all the dudes. I'm like, oh my God. Like in my head, I'm like, this is a huge moment. Like I made, uh, I did it. Like I made the team. Uh, at the same time, I'm like looking in the mirror, like, no, you didn't, man. Like you got to see your name <laughs> on that roster, dude. Like, no, it's not over yet. Um, so of course, like they had, uh, they, you know, they did it. They, they do it old school. I don't know. They probably still do it like this, but like they put the final list up on the, the coach's office and they just say like, Hey, list, list is going to be posted tomorrow morning. And you just come and check and see if your name is on the list. Mm. Um, you know, so of course I'm the first dude to show up just to make sure he wasn't like blowing smoke up my ass. Um, but yeah, yeah, I made, made the club and, um, yeah, that was a, that was a really long fall. And I, I, I was, I was very, I was very possessed that fall. Wow. So did you end up doing two years there? I thought for some reason, I thought that you didn't. No. So I did, um, I did my, my freshman year there, um, which was, uh, a great experience. Um, I learned a ton about college baseball. I actually learned most of my baseball knowledge from, from that program. But, um, my, my sophomore year, I ended up, uh, I ended up quitting. Yeah. And coming home. So did you, so did you start, um, in that spring as your freshman year, did you get playing time? Yeah, I started every game, uh, every, yeah, start, started every game. Okay. And so why did you end up quitting? Um, well, so going into my, my sophomore fall, I, you know, I wasn't as stressed out. I wasn't as freaked out about not making the team. I, you know, I, I was, a I started every game last year. And, you know, the coaches really liked me, um, you know, so I, I kind of knew in the back of my head, you know, even though that they, they made sure everybody knew like, Hey, just cause you made the team last year, doesn't, you know, doesn't mean anything. You still gotta make the team again. I kind of knew like, you know, I'm, I'm going to make the team again. It's not, you know, it's not live or die here. I don't have to do what I did last year. I have to put myself through that again. 
So, um, I finally got a little bit of time where I allowed, I allowed myself to, uh, to reflect on everything that's happened in the last, you know, 18 months or however long. And, um, it, it really threw me for a tailspin, you know, as soon as, soon as the accident happened, um, I started looking at all these challenges and just started knocking them down. And I never, I never looked back at, at what had happened and what I had lost and what I had been through and like what my family had been through and all these different things. Mm. So I finally had this time where I didn't, I didn't really have a challenge in front of me to focus on and put all of my energy and effort I didn't really have something that gave me the ability to run away from what I was scared of. Hmm. So um, I started. I started really thinking, and I started really like looking back at. You know, I had this time to reflect now, and um, I got really depressed. You know, like it, it all finally caught up with me and hit me on like everything that had happened. Um, so yeah, that was, uh, you know, my, my performance in that, those fall scrimmages was, was dwindling. Uh, I wasn't doing very good. I, you know, I started pushing, I started trying harder, you know, I wasn't letting the game, you know, I wasn't having as much fun with the game. I was, I was an angry dude. I was just not fun to be around at all. Um, and it was actually, uh, you know, a big, big kudos, uh, to that coaching staff at my junior college, uh, you know, cause they, they knew my story. They never asked me about it, but they knew about it. Um, you know, so, so knew, we never talked details. We never really talked about the story at all. Um, but they called me into the, the, the coach's office, um, which was, which was really bizarre that, you know, they never did that. Um. So we go in there and it's me and I thought it was just going to be like the head coach. It was all of them, like all four of them were there. And, um, you know, which, which kind of was like shocking, uh, you know, cause they all got like a bunch of random other jobs, you know, was, they don't, they don't make a lot of money on that junior coach, junior college coach salary. Um, mm -hmm. so my head coach was basically like, you know, we talked for a little while and, he said, uh, you know, Max, we know there's something going on with you and you're not the person that, uh, that you were last year. You know, you're, you're not, you're not who we, who we know, like you're not that guy right now. And, uh, you know, we, we think that you should seek out some help. Um, you know, we, we think that you need professional help and, um, he said, uh, you know, like it, we want, he's like, if, if you want to play this year, you're on the team. Like, if you want to play right now, like, don't, don't say another word, you're on the team. But he's like, look, man, if you keep running from this thing, it's just going to keep coming back and you're never, you're never going to get better. You're never going to get back to that guy that we all know and love. Um, and, uh, that was really tough. Like I just broke down the office cause it was so true. And like somebody had to say it and they finally, they finally like took the initiative and they said it, you know, and they just, they just called me, called me on it. Um, you know, I needed to be called on it. Like I was just not fun to be around. I wasn't a good teammate. Like I was just like just angry. I was angry. I wasn't performing well either. And it's like, it was all bad. 
Mm. Um, you know, so, uh, you know, I accepted that and, um, you know, it was very shocking because we never, you know, in that program, we, it was baseball, it's baseball and that's it. You know, there's no, no like deep, hard rooted, uh, conversations. So when, you know, when, when they said that to me, it was like, this is a problem. Like I, I am a problem. Um, so yeah, that, that kind of, that kind of gave me a, a, a way to go home. So, uh, you know, and they, they always said, you know, if, if you get yourself sorted out, you know, whenever, like our door is open, whether it's, you want to play here again, or if you ever want to coach here, like you are, you are our guy, like we will stick our neck out for you. Um, so yeah, solid, solid group of, uh, people that, uh, that were really looking out for me then. Wow. Okay. So you end up quitting. Did you quit with the intention of, of seeking help? Is that part of why you came home? What did that look like when you actually decided to leave the team? Yeah. So, um, I, I knew I had to get myself sorted out and it wasn't, um, you know, I, I was like, you know, I'll, I'll just like gut through it. Uh, I'll do it on my own. Uh, you know, it's not something anybody can help me with. It's just something I got to get through. Um, so it was definitely like, you know, I'll go, I'll go home, you know, and I'll just like collect myself and then, um, you know, but I, I didn't have a plan or, or anything really. I, I had nothing, nothing. Um, I was just basically driving home. Like that's all I had. Hmm. Um, and, uh, at that point I, I decided to call up my buddy, uh, Sam, you know, and Sam's, uh, you know, starting pitcher at Oregon state and he's doing really good. You know, so I, I'm calling him and I'm talking to him and he's like, like you know i still think like you can play here and i'm like at oregon state and he's like yeah dude like you can play with these guys i'm like dude stop being my like stop being my friend right now like you're just saying stuff like you're just trying to like make me happy right now he's like no like i'm, I'm serious i want to take a quick break from the episode to thank you for listening to the podcast really means a lot that people are listening to these and enjoying them. So if you want to reach out to me with any comments or feedback or just to say hi, please don't hesitate to do so. And you can reach me at contact at billyhanson.net. There are many ways to support me in the podcast. The first would be to order the new book that's coming out soon, either for yourself or for another athlete or coach or parent, and just to simply spread the word about the book. The book took me about three years to write, and I'm really proud of it, and I hope that it helps other young athletes and coaches and parents cultivate successful athletic experiences that integrate well into productive lives. You can also leave a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and you can share the podcast with people who you think might like it. And to stay in contact with my work, the best way is to subscribe to my newsletter, which you can find at billyhanson.net forward slash newsletter or in the link in the show notes. 
And you can also find a link to the book in the show notes, by the way, too. So thank you again for listening. Happy New Year. And now back to the conversation with Max Gordon. When you, so you talk about texting Sam. Is this when you're coaching me? So you and I collided during this phase, right? We were home from JC and I'm a, yeah, soph- I'm a sophomore. You're helping out with my team back at Ashland throwing BP. It's amazing that, you know, it's just another reminder of that you don't really realize what the people around you are going through under the surface because I remember the kind of impression I got from you as a sophomore. You were just this cool guy who won a state championship who was – you know, fun to talk to and you gave great advice and you would, you know, have fun with us. And I had no idea, you know, I, I was just a dumb sophomore. Like I, I, I knew about your accident, but you never brought that with you to the field or anything. And so, yeah, it's amazing hearing this story and then putting myself back in that 16 year old kids cleats because I'm in the same position that you were in, you know, talking about your junior year and being, you know, really wanting a scholarship. I'm like, you know, I'm having a lot of fun, but I'm super fixated on playing in college and getting my accolades and all of that and trying to have fun with my friends. So it's just interesting to hear that. So, so you're now helping during the spring, you're coaching me and we've got Ian Kendall on the team and a lot of good players. And we're in the hunt for another state championship. We ended up not winning, but you're around the team at that point. Is that when you texted Sam? So no, I, I was texting Sam. So I was calling this, this conversation was happening on my drive home from Okay, so it's Sierra. all happening immediate, immediately. Okay. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, he's just kinda like trying to console me. And um I get a wild hair like two days later. I'm like, you know what? Text me, you know, because like now that's all I can think about. You know, it's just like who I am. I'm just like, oh, like <laughs> really? Like, oh, like I'm that dumb. And I'm like Hey, give me Coach Casey's number, like the the legendary Oregon State coach's number, mm. who I'm like deathly afraid of to talk to. And uh, so he like gives it to me, and I'm like, oh my god, I'm like staring at this number on my phone for like three days. And um, you know, I was just like, screw it, I'm gonna call him because whatever happens, like I'm just here, like I'm just right back to square one, like it doesn't matter. So I call him. And I'm like, I've got this whole thing because I know it's going to go to voicemail because um, yeah. I've been denied by multiple college coaches at this time. And so like I call I call, and I'm just like, all right, I got this whole like, this is what I must say in the voicemail. And he answers. And I'm like, oh, I'm just like so <laughs> rattled. <laughs> He's like, uh, hello? And I'm like, oh, oh. Uh, is this Coach Casey? And he's like, yeah. I'm like, oh, shit, now what? <laughs> so um, I ended up talking to him a little bit. I was like, oh, I'm Sam's friend. Uh, we're buddies. We went to high school together. Uh, I, just, I, I actually, I, I really want to come talk to you. Uh, I just want to come talk to you, tell you about something. And he was just kind of like, yeah, come on up. Um, so like a couple days later, um, I, uh, you know, I, after that phone call, I, I talked to my parents and I was like, Hey, I'm going to go to Oregon state and I'm going to talk to Pat Casey. And my parents are like, why? <laughs> like, well, I'm going to see if I can convince him to let me play for him. <laughs> and they're like, uh, okay. So, um, I just drove, I just drove up there 
and I just like banged on his door. Really quickly, and, sorry, sorry, Max, yeah. but the uh, I think my listener, the listener, should know that Sam, your best friend Sam, who was a great pitcher who you won the state championship with, he's now you know carved out a really great MLB career for himself. So he's that status uh, at Oregon State, just absolutely murdering. And that probably, I'm assuming, gave you some credibility with Pat Casey when you said you were his friend, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And like uh, Sam, Sam has a, a you know a very soft spot spot in in those you know that Oregon State coaching staff's heart. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so like he, he's he's very he's a very quiet person. So when he talks, like there's there's definitely like reverence to it. Right. Um, you know, so like if he puts his stamp on me, that's like. You know that's something mm-hmm. um but yeah he's uh he's doing incredible two little kids now um he just got signed with the rangers shout out amazing so cool really yeah really excited to uh to watch him in spring training this year but um so yeah um i got in my car i drove to oregon state i banged on his door um and case uh case and i we talked for two and a half hours in his office. And he was telling me stories that I don't think he's told any of the other players. Um, I also don't think that he was prepared on what the, uh, what the rest of the day was going to entail with me. I think he was just kind of like consoling some kid that was just like in the dumps. Did he know about your story at that point? And Sam told him about your, your accident and all that. I think he might've a little bit. Um, I, but he said that he had heard of me before and, uh, actually, yeah, he had heard of my story. Okay. Um, cause like it, it was on a couple of newspaper articles and like they were, they were following Sam. So they, I think they kind of like ran into the story cause I was on the, the team with him in high school. Hmm. Um, so, so yeah, at the end of the day, uh, you know, case was like, Hey, well, you know, we got practice in a couple hours. Why don't you go get lunch? Come back. Uh, hang out at practice. And I'm like, I'm on cloud nine, dude. I'm freaking out. Like this is going so well, you know, but in the back of my head, I'm still thinking like, all right, well, I mean, at some point they're just going to tell me to go home and like, you know, give me a pat on the back. They're just like being nice showing this like random kid around. Um, so I go to practice and, uh, you know, I, I see case and he's, he's talking to me. He's being very nice, very cordial. And, um, He's like, hey, you know, let me introduce you to our outfielding coach, you know, because I'm an outfielder. And um, he, you know, so I'm, I'm talking to Pat Bailey, the outfield coach, for a little while. And, um, you know, it, it kind of got to the part, part in practice where I could, and I, I was kind of in their way. So I had to kind of like step aside and let them work, um, you know. And like when that point hit, uh, Bailey looks at me and says, you know, so so are you going to be here in the fall to try out for the team? You know, it was like, they're basically like, he just invited me to come try out at Oregon state. And I was just like, well, uh, yeah, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll be there. You know? Um, you know, so I, I drove, drove home freaking out the entire drive. Like music couldn't get any louder. I was just like, <laughs> so excited, so happy. Um, you know, but I still had this, uh, this, this demon that, that this monkey that I had to get off my back. Um, but yeah, it it was, it was another thing that was just like reaching out to me as like, Hey, there's still something for you to do. Um, you know, like it's not, 
Like you don't have to continuously engulf yourself in doom and gloom. Mm. Um, so, so yeah, like that, that path started and that's where, uh, that's where I met the, uh, the great Billy Hansen. You know? <laughs> okay. Yeah. So then you're, so then you're coaching us in the back of your mind that whole time you're thinking, okay, I'm trying out for Oregon state in the fall, which I remember you getting a bunch of reps in, you know, you'd, you'd hit when you could and you were getting work in before and after practice and stuff. So you were getting ready to go try out at that point, right? Yeah. Yeah. I was, uh, I was getting, getting ready to try out, but, um, mainly just, you know, like really focused on helping you guys, you know, like helping, helping you guys have some success and like trying to, trying to bring whatever, like what little knowledge of the college game I could to, you know, Ashland high school, um, you know, that, you know, some, some things that I learned in, in college about the game of baseball, which like, uh, it's, it's like easy to gloss over as, as a fan of the game, but like, you know, the, mm-hmm. the little nuances that you learn, it's like, wow, like this is incredible. Like this is something that could help, you know, help us, yeah. uh, you know, so I was really trying to like pass those little, little nuggets of information along to you guys. Yeah. And then how, and during that spring, you call it the demon or the monkey on your back. How was that treating you? Um, how, how were you doing mentally at that point? Um, it's pretty rough, man. You, like you got the best version of me at practice. Uh, that's <laughs> for sure. Uh, I, I made sure to leave all that in my car. Um, but yeah. Uh, and do you think that I, was just you know, directly due to, was it just trauma from the accident that you had you mentioned that you had always had these goals to knock down. So once the distractions or not, you know, call them distractions, the, the, the purpose that you were engaged in, once that kind of melted away, you had to really face all of that trauma that you were, you know, that was under the surface. Is that kind of how you you feel about it? Yeah. Yeah. No, a hundred percent. Um, and it, it was really one of these things that like, if those, if the coaches at my junior college didn't tell me to go handle this, like go take care of this and get it, get it over with. Um, like that's, that's another one of those things. It's like, man, like kind of them forcing my hand into like me quitting. Like that's another one of the greatest things that's happened to me because like I went home and like I had this problem, like I had a mental problem. Like it was not a good one. Um, it was, it was really, really hard for me, uh, to get past. And I was, I was angry all the time. I was so angry, you know, and, um, like I would snap at my parents. I was never that kid. Like I was never that person that would, that would just blow up and I would never yell at my parents. And I'm just like flying off the handle at them. Like they're asking me like, Hey, take the trash out. It's like, takes me not even a minute, like 45 seconds and the trash is out. And I would like freak out on them. Hmm. Uh, you know, just like little things. Like I would lay in bed forever, just like crazy depressed. Like I just like couldn't move. Didn't want to get out of bed. Didn't want to do anything. Um, you know, and like I was seeing a therapist and the therapist would talk to me and, um, you know, after like our, our fifth session, he was just like, I think you're the most detached person from emotion that I've ever, ever talked to. Hmm. Cause I would just like, he would talk and I would just stare at him. It was sad. Like it, it was really bad. Um, and then, uh, 
yeah, like once once I kind of got this like rejuvenation, I got the I had I had something I had a new challenge ahead of me. I had like Oregon State in the mix, and um, we did this. Um, so so kind of the the thing that put everything to bed for me, like got this this monkey off my back, this like demon. Um, there's this thing called brain spotting. It's a very odd uh, type of therapy. And what the what the doctor did, because it was kind of like his last-ditch effort. He, he said, hey, we're going to try this. This is our last session. He said, we're going to try this. And if it works, that's great. If not, he's like, I suggest, he's like, I have a list of other therapists that I think you should contact because uh, I don't think I can help you. He's like, I think you need to see somebody else. He's a great dude. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, okay, whatever. Um, and I, I decided, like, I told myself, like, okay, I'm going to give this a real chance. Whatever this weird voodoo stuff is, I'm going to, I'm going to try it. Like, I'm going to really, had, had you tried SSRIs or anything up until uh-uh. then? Okay. Mm-mm. No. So like, uh, he puts these headphones on me and there's just like, uh, there's just like kind of weird, I don't know, almost sounded like, uh, like something you listen to, like, it was almost like ocean noises, but it was like this soft music. Um, he like put these headphones on me and he could, you know, it wasn't so loud that I couldn't hear him. So he'd be talking and I I could like hear him. Um, so he's like walking me through this thing and, uh, I'm listening to music and, uh, I'm just like staring at a wall. Like he's off to the side of me and I'm just like staring straight ahead at this wall. And, uh, I'm like fully bought in. I'm trying, like, I'm trying this thing that he's putting me through. And, uh, he... I just remember, like, I don't remember anything, but I remember this one point where he says, like, I want you to welcome your brother into the room right now. And so I'm like, I'm like trying. I'm like, yeah, like, it's okay. Like, like, Nick, you can, you can come here. Like, you can come, like, like, come in. And then all of a sudden, I swear to God, this is the weirdest thing I've ever experienced in my life. It's, it's, it's super odd. Uh, Like, it, it looked like this point on the wall started like pulsating, like a heartbeat, super weird. Hmm. And I'm like tripping out now. And, um, all of a sudden I can't hear the doc. The doctor's still talking. I can't hear him anymore. I'm just like fixated on this, like heartbeat on the wall. And I'm like, Whoa, like what, what? And then I hear my brother's voice say, it's okay. I'm fine. Hmm. And I just like couldn't let that go. I just like kept staring at the wall. I just like wanted more of that. But it was like that was the thing that I was like, that's all, that's all the thing that I needed. I just like kept staring at the wall. And then like a couple tears, I take the headphones off. The doctor's still talking. Like he's still going through the thing. And I just like take the headphones off. I like hand him the little like CD player with the headset. I'm like, thanks. And I walk out the door <laughs> and he, he had to be so confused. Like that was it. It was over. Like I'm done. Like it's like no, like I've never had another problem since that moment. Wow. So it was, a good, it was like, it was like literally somebody off. like walked in and like flipped the switch and I'm like, good. Sweet. I'm getting really? like, that's the one moment that I needed. It was like my brother was just like, I'm fine. It's okay. So it and sounds like Okay. Boom. Yeah. So I 
uh, dabbled in some of this stuff and I'm interested in it. Like, have you, you know anything about like the psychedelic experience? Um, you hear about no. like people on. No, on, like, but I'm super curious for what you're about to say. <laughs> okay. So like people will go do these. Well, so, something that comes to mind and this relates to sports, like these, um, there was a special on real sports, that HBO show yeah. where they, they profiled three players, three NFL players, and one of them was a safety. I think he played for the Jets. I forgot his name, but I'll link to this in the show notes, and everybody can go look this up. But he was suffering from severe CTE and super depressed. I think he said he had picked the banister in his house that he was planning to hang himself from, mm. um, and his wife didn't know who he was anymore. So he goes down to... Um, South America and he does this ayahuasca ceremony and it's the reason why I'm bringing this up is it reminds me of the story that you just told me. He said that his grandparents, his deceased grandparents visited him during the trip and he had this cathartic experience where something like that happened. And he said he was completely changed. Like, like what you said, like the, the switch had been flipped and they interviewed his wife and they were like, she said that, um, you know, my husband's back to the man I fell in love with. And it was just this crazy story. And so, you know, I'm a, it's inc- incredible. Yeah. It's and then, yeah. And they talked about this, uh, MMA fighter who was drinking like 20 beers a day, addicted to opiates. He did a psilocybin mushroom trip and had this awakening experience or whatever you want to call it. And hasn't drinking a beer since. So, <laughs> You know, I've had some experience with psychedelics. You know, I'm, I'm pretty terrified of them, but I've, I've, I've tried some of them too. And I, I feel I can relate to some of it. I haven't had that kind of cathartic moment, but I, I kind of understand what they're talking about. So it's just fascinating to me that something like that can happen, something so transformative. Were you in, was this a form of hypnosis, would you call it? Like, I wonder how the doctor got your brain into that state without any chemical intervention or any drugs i know yeah no that's i i don't know i don't know and i feel like it was something and the way he explained it to me before our session that day was like it kind of seemed like it was something that like hey like i saw this in an article last week and like i want to try it on you because literally (laughs) nothing else were like he made it seem like um yeah this isn't gonna work but we're gonna have a little fun you know (laughs) like yeah um so yeah, I, I don't know. And the, the, the other like sad, but funny thing is, is like, I haven't talked to that guy since. So he's gotta be like tripping out. I'm like, he has no <laughs> idea. He has no idea what just happened. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's, uh, an, yeah. that's an amazing story. And so you, you really feel like that rage or whatever it was dissipated in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I saw, I saw you about 30 minutes after that. I would go Mm -hmm. to therapy right before I would go to high school practice and work with you guys. Um, and yeah, I mean, it was just one of those days where like the sun was out, you know, all of a sudden, like the sun's a little bit brighter. Um, you know, like the birds are just a little bit louder. Um, the grass smells just a little bit better. And, uh, you know, it was just like, one of those things where like, I, I just like, couldn't, 
I couldn't be more excited to be alive that day. Wow. It, it was, it was, it was very, um, it was a very profound moment. Wow. That's amazing. Okay. So let's jump ahead to you going up to Oregon state. So what was your mind state like going into that fall? What were your expectations like? Did you really think you had a chance to make the team? Or did you think it was an outside shot? How are you feeling about that, that season when you first went up there? Well, um, when I went up there, so when, when I went home, I have to tell you, I have to tell you this part first. Okay, sure. Um, so when I went home from the coaches saying like, Hey, are you going to come to try out? I, I came home and I told my parents like, Hey, the coaches asked me if I, if like I was going to try out for the team. And they were like, Oh my God, that's so exciting. And then I'll never forget it. Another challenge. <laughs> my mom says, well, at least you get to get your degree. And I'm like, Oh, ho, ho, shouldn't, <laughs> shouldn't have said that mom. Uh, you know, so I was like, okay, well, you don't think I can make the team, but whatever. Um, but no. So when I got up there, like not only did I have that ringing in my ears, uh, for the next two years, three years, um, I, uh, you know, again, I'm a realist. I'm looking at, you know, these guys and I just went through this, uh, you know, at Sierra about 16 months prior, uh, for my freshman year of junior college. So I know what I have to do. You know, I know the mode I need to get into. Like, I know, like I can go to that place and just grind and just like outwork every single dude on this team. Like I know how to do that. Um, but like at the end of the day, is that going to be enough? Um, and uh, I, I was worried that I wasn't going to make the team. So um, if I didn't make the team, I wanted to go to another junior college and play for them um, at Feather River, actually, the place that, you know, I said was like a lot like my hometown that, you know, that I went and checked out. So I, my parents brought their trailer up to Oregon State and I lived in the fairgrounds during my first, my first year there. So now I'm, I'm the weird guy, the weird grinder guy that is like two hours early for practice, hitting in the cages, doing all this, you know, doing all this stuff. I'm like getting into that mode again. And, um, I'm also living in a trailer and, um, yeah, the, the only thing I have on my side is Sam's on the team, mm. you know, so I've got my best friend there, uh, you know, so I can go hang out at his house. I can meet some of my teammates off the field. They, they can see that I'm not a total square. Mm. Um, you know, so, uh, so that, that was kind of a, uh, that, that was kind of nice where I could kind of like ease into it a little bit more rather than just having to, um, just grunt my whole way through the entire thing with like zero friends. Um, mm. cause I, I made that very, very aware to myself that, you know, my freshman year of junior college, like I'm not here to make friends. I'm here to make this team. Uh, mm. and I did not have any friends until I made the team. And then I, I kind of lightened up a little bit, but, um, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, going into that season, 
I or going into that year, I was I knew I was really far behind, and I knew that it was going to be a snowball's chance in hell. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I kind of thought that I I was going to be there. That's why we had the trailer, was so I didn't have to sign a a long term lease, and I could go down to junior college if I if I didn't make it. So I wasn't I wasn't as confident. Yeah, and then at this point, you know, I've heard as I followed you from when you coached me through your amazing journey. I don't know what part of this stuff that's been reported to me is just folklore, if it's true. So you can correct me where I'm wrong here, but somebody told me that you were originally cut from the team and then some of your teammates went to the coaches and defended you. Is that true? Uh, That's not true. That okay. is that chuck, is folklore, but chuck that, up, is, chuck that up to folk- folklore. <laughs> there, there is a similar story. Um, okay. So, I think I, I don't know exactly which two coaches it was. I think it was, I think it was our head coach, Coach Casey, and I think it was it was another one, and then Coach Yeski and Coach Bailey. So Coach Casey and the other coach. They said no to me. Like this is the la- like they're trying to figure out who's the last guy to make the team. Like they're mm-hmm. making cuts. Like this is it. We got one more spot. Who's it gonna be? It's like me and four other guys. And uh, Coach Yeski, uh, the pitching coach, um, and Bailey, the outfield coach. They said Max Gordon. And they were like, No, no, come on, he's not. You know, he's not gonna play. And uh, uh, Yeski was like, I will quit. And Bailey's like, I will also quit. <laughs> like, wow. Uh, there's like, like, he has to be on our team. He has, he has to be on our team. He makes every player on our team better. Hmm. Like, if, like, we have to have, like, even if he doesn't play, it doesn't matter. He's going to push everybody in practice. He's going to make everybody better. He's just going to, he's just going to push and pester and bug the shit out of everybody. Like we need him as an example. We just have to have him on the team. Hmm. So yeah, that's that's why I made the team. Wow, that's amazing. So how did that first year go? So you made the team. I'm sure you're stoked to just have a uniform, but stoked. how yeah. So how did how did that first year progress? Um well well it started off pretty similar from from what i'm used to uh i went outside and told sam because sam dropped me off at the coach's office i went in for my meeting thinking i was gonna get cut and they told me i made the team so i walked out and told him i made the team and so we went out and got his truck stuck in in the woods um (laughs) but the the year went pretty pretty much as i as i thought it would i got very limited amount of at bats i got to uh, i i came in as like a defensive specialist like late in the game to make sure nobody like hit a double or anything and like go out there and make a catch um but yeah i didn't i didn't do anything special i made like a cool catch against cal but like nobody knew who i was at all mm-hmm. um i i was very overwhelmed by the crowd i was very overwhelmed by the moment uh, the amount of pressure, the amount of, uh, you know, what, what was, you know, the, the difference between the, the fall and the spring at Oregon state, it's a, 
it is a different monster. Um, you know, so when the spring came around, uh, I, I was just like, I was shocked at the amount of like stress and pressure and, uh, emphasis on like how important every single tiny minuscule detail is. Mm. Uh, so, you know, I was also, I was also kind of the new kid on the block. So, uh, you know, I didn't get my number called very often. So I didn't really have a lot of opportunities to go up there and like shit my pants. Um, but it, it was definitely a, a, a huge learning curve that um, took took a decent amount of time to adjust to of just like the like the coaches get very very uh, jubilant <laughs> like like there there's some serious dudes during the spring it's a uh, it's it's not it's not the easiest environment to perform in but uh, they care a lot about winning you know which was right up my alley at the time yeah. Okay, so you can take this however you want, but I want to know how you progressed from being the last person to make the team as a walk-on to you know, getting some late-game defensive reps but not really being a part of the rotation. When and how did you transition into really having a chance to start and then becoming a starter? Like what, what was that progression like and what, what, I don't even know what year it was that you ended up breaking through, but why don't you just take me through the transition from being the Cinderella walk-on into like a real guy in the team? Yeah. So, um, kind of, so, so it all kind of started, um, as to like me being a player, like a, like an actual contributor on the team. Um, I, I was, it was after after my sophomore year, so after my first year at Oregon State, um, we were doing like our exit interview, and um, our you know our outfield coach, Coach Coach Bailey, he uh, you know I love this man to start, but he he and I butted heads a lot in the following you know my junior and my senior year, like him and I butted heads a lot. Um, and it all started from this conversation in our exit interview. And he said, uh, he said, you know, Max, um, it's, it's incredible what you've done to make this team. And, uh, it's like, but we have a lot of talent coming in, in our, uh, freshman class and our, our recruiting class next year. Um, he says, I, I think it would be smart if you just came back to get your degree. You know, I, I like he said, if you want to come walk on again, um, you know, that, that's fine, but like, just know, like, it's, it's going to be a lot tougher to make that team next year than it, than it was this year. Mm. So you didn't um, have a, you didn't have a roster spot going into your junior year? No. Guaranteed. No, wow. I didn't. So that made me mad. It made me really mad that, uh, you know, everything that, you know, I, I put my heart and soul in line to, to make that team and to like be a part of that and for for it to be um you know such a question mark or like even to the point of like hey man like you should just go to school dude uh that that put a really really put me in a pretty angry spot you know um but again it was another challenge that uh you know i love proving everybody wrong um, and then 
So going into that fall, so I've got all summer to just stew on that and just like, just like hold on to it. So are you, is this, is this kind of anger different from the kind of anger that you described with the demon on your back? You're still feeling. Yeah, no, this is, this is like, this is, this is like, this is how people say like, like fuel to the fire. Okay. Like this is, this is something that I can act positively on where it's like, oh, okay. You haven't relapsed back into no, the darkness. No, it's okay. no, it's yeah. not like no. No, okay. th- those those days are f- far far gone. Okay. So I um, you know, it's it's one of those things that like you're questioning me. You're questioning me if I can do it again. And like that's a challenge I will accept every single day of the week. Mm-hmm. Um so I've got all, all summer to just like hold on to this and think about it and stew on it. And just like make it like like build this fire and make it even more hot. And, um, I get there in the fall and I am fuming man. like, I am ready to blow a lid. Like I'm, I'm here. Like I'm here to play. Like I'm not, I'm not scared anymore. Like I'm not a little kid. I'm not the, I'm not the dude that was, you know, gullible and, uh, you know, so easily impressed. Like I'm here to make statements. Um, and, and really all it was like, I didn't get any better at baseball. Like I didn't get any, uh, you know, I didn't create any new skills. I didn't get faster, stronger, crazy, you know, whatever. Um, I just got super, super confident and super fed up because like I've done it before, like I've done it before. And now you're saying I can't do it again. And, um, that just really, really drove me to a point where like, um, Bailey and I actually almost got in a fight, like a, like an actual fist fight, um, in the fall. And, um, it was great. Like, it was great because like, that's the atmosphere that like, oddly enough, like Oregon state baseball loves, like we love that type of like high testosterone, competitive, like F you mentality. And, um, like that's perfect. Cause that's right up my alley. You know, like when I'm comfortable in a, uh, in a, in a, in a place, like that's, that's who I am. Mm. Um, so, you know, when I, when I was allowed to kind of like blossom in this, uh, in this program, you know, I started having a little bit more swagger. I started having a little bit more confidence. I started, I, I started telling myself, like, I'm not here just to make the team. I'm not, and like, that was, that was the big moment for me was like, our head coach, Coach Casey, said, someone needs to just play center field. Someone needs to just decide that they're going to be the center fielder this year. Because we had, like, it was, like, me and two other guys that, like, we couldn't, like, nobody could beat each other out. Like, one guy would do good for a day, and then, like, he would fail for a little while. And then the other guy would do good for a day. And, like, so it was just like a revolving door in the fall, like, in practice. And these are, and these, are, these are two scholarship players, I imagine? And you, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, um, you know, the, the thing about me is, like, when, when a coach talks, like, I listen. Like, I can tell you. I can almost revite, like, recite. Like, even though I have short-term memory loss, I can recite Coach K's speeches. You know, like I, I can recite what coach Dub said at Sierra. Like I can say word for word a lot. So like when a coach talks, like I am engaged and, um, 
when he said, you know, someone needs to just take it. Just like stop looking for somebody else to fail so you get an opportunity. Just take it. Just take it and start running as fast as you can. Just run with it. And I just decided that that's me. Like, I'm just going to do that. And I started, you know, like Coach Casey had this, had this like funny thing that like, it's funny, but like, it's also very true. He would say, you know, like, if you want to be a champion, you have to do everything like a champion. So you, you have to, you have to wake up like a champion. You got to brush your teeth like a champion. You got to eat breakfast like a champion. You got to start your car like a champion. And, you know, all of us, you know, college students are like, oh, like, hey, man, I'm going to go outside and start my car like a champion. <laughs> you know, just like being, you know, jackasses about it. But, um, it's true, man. Like, like if you actually like kind of like get your, like as a competitor, like in, in an athlete, like if you, if you take yourself there for like every little instance of your, of your day and your life, like, man, the, the confidence, like in like borderline cockiness that it creates to, to allow you to do incredible things is like, it's pretty true, you know, like, and like it leads to championships. Um, so yeah, that, that's really kind of just like, I started walking around a little bit differently. I started walking to class a little differently. I started acting like I started telling myself, I'd look in the mirror and be like, you're, you play center field, you're, you start for Oregon state. You know, I stopped saying like, Oh, I hope I make the team. It was like, I'm the starter for center. Like I'm the center fielder for Oregon state. Like I, that's how I talked to myself. And, um, yeah, it really just like kicked it kicked into a new gear and um there's really no no real looking back after that like i started playing a lot you know i started i started most of the games my junior year and i started about all the games my senior year you know mm-hmm. because i was just like this is who i am now like i am that guy like i will take that job okay so take me through some of the highlights then so you you know not only did you make the starting lineup at Oregon State as a walk-on, as unlikely as that is. But, you know, I remember being, I don't remember what age I was. It must have been early on in my college career or late in high school, but people were started telling me like, hey, Max Gordon was on SportsCenter Top 10. And I would go look it up, be like, oh shit, that's Max, like making a diving catch in the gap on SportsCenter. And I was like, that's amazing. So you got these amazing catches that you would pull off you're playing in the college world series right just let me know like give me some of the highlights of those last two seasons my junior year was like there was a there was a couple good catches but it wasn't anything crazy uh like there there was a cool one at washington state uh that i think you can find on youtube but um i'll put some youtube clips and clips in the show notes by the way so okay go find it all the, all the listeners can go look at your, your highlights. Uh, yeah. Me just like going crazy. But the one, the one that really kind of like got, got the, uh, you know, the college baseball community, uh, stirring about me was, um, the play at Stanford. Um, so like, uh, Matt Boyd, who's a, uh, he's a big leaguer now. He's a starter with the Detroit Tigers. Um, he's pitching for us and he gave up an absolute, rod into the left center gap um against stanford and i'm running after this thing and as soon as it was hit 
I was like, okay, well, that's a double. Like, I'm just not going to get there. Like, that's impossible. But it was like the the most perfect, perfect footwork, like perfect route. Everything couldn't have been more like precise. And I'm running after this ball. And I remember like looking up, like tracking it, looking up at it, like I'm getting kind of close. And um, I just decided like, I'm going to dive with like minimal intention of actually touching the ball. Mm. And I just like fully sell out for this thing. And I just feel the ball like snap into my glove and I landed on the warning track and like almost slid up into the fence. So I just have this like epic, like running dive that, uh, I like land on the warning track, like dirt goes everywhere. And, um, was that the one where you like scream when you got up? Yeah. Okay. I've seen that one. Yeah. Yeah, Like, cause I was, I was so excited because like, I, I was the last person that thought I was going to catch that ball. So like I got up just like, Oh my God, I caught it. Like (laughs) freaking out. Like I chest bump, uh, I chest bumped, uh, Michael Conforto, (laughs) who's, who's now a big leaguer with the New York Mets. Um, yeah. It was a close uh, game, right? If I remember correctly, that was like a, yeah, yeah. I think it was like a one run game at the time. Yeah. Um, and then, so, so that happened and I, uh, you know, like I, I would make pretty stupid, like crazy catches in practice all the time. And like, that's where I got good at it was during like batting practice. I'd be out in the outfield, just like running after everything. I was like a dog chasing the tennis ball. That was like the funnest thing to me. Um, I don't know why I just loved playing outfield and I would just like try and catch all, all the balls. Like I just like, I was like infatuated with it. Um, so I got like really good at playing outfield just cause like I took it super serious and I had a lot of fun. Um, so, you know, like that happened and you know, everybody's like high five me, whatever, after the inning, um, I didn't really think anything of it. And so that was, that was the Sunday game. So the next day is, um, you know, Monday morning, we're back home in Corvallis and, uh, we, I wake up at whatever and my phone is just blown up with like 50 text messages like, Oh my God. Oh my God. And I read one that says like, have you seen sports center? And I didn't read any other ones. I just like <laughs> didn't want to ruin the surprise for myself. <laughs> And, um, so I turn on sports center. Of course it's the top of the hour. So I have to watch the entire hour of sports center waiting for the top <laughs> 10 plays. And so it gets to like 10 and I'm like, Oh, like, Oh dang it. Like it wasn't me. I wasn't on there. And then, uh, all of a sudden it gets to like number two and it's LeBron James, like slamming on some dude. And I'm like, dang dude, like somebody's messing with me. Like I didn't make sports center top 10. And then all of a sudden, like there's me at number one wow. sports center top 10. And I'm like, n- like, no way. Like I don't, I hadn't even seen the video personally. Like I didn't even know it existed. Yeah. And so I'm like watching this. And I'm like, I only got to watch it once. Like that. Well, they replayed it once. Like, so I, so I saw it t- twice and then I was like, eh, do, you, maybe... do, you remember, do you remember who the anchor was? I don't know. I don't. That's so crazy. Cause like, yeah, I mean, I just imagine someone listening to this who doesn't understand how epic Sports Center top ten number one play is, but that's like that was like my religion growing up, you know. <laughs> like Oh yeah, that was the thing, dude. That so, was the jam. So cool. Yeah. That's so, so sick, bro. Like that's amazing. 
Um, yeah. Okay, so your Sports Center number one. That that was your senior year. You made that catch. That was yeah. That was my senior year. Okay, cool. Um, yeah. And where what what was your best finish as a team? Was that junior or senior year? That was senior year. We won the Pac-12. Okay. Um, where were you hitting in the lineup? And I was hitting nine senior year. Okay. Did you have a pretty Which good I, year at the plate? Yeah, I did pretty good. I actually I actually did really bad against non-conference teams. So I hit like 290 in the Pac-12 against okay. like all the good pitchers. Uh, but I only hit like 240 on the year. Okay. So like with University of Portland and Seattle U mixed in, like against like the not as good teams, like I just like didn't do good. Hmm. But no, it was a like it was a solid year for me as somebody like with with the skills that I have, like yeah, it's a pretty good year. Yeah, two ninety in the Pac twelve is no joke. That's yeah, that's awesome. Okay, so playing the World Series, what uh, who knocked you out? We lost to Mississippi State. Yeah. Okay. And what was that like going into that game and then having it end and having the whole road close? I mean, after that amazing journey, how did that feel when the last game ended? Man, it was pretty wild, man. Like, um, so my roommate at the time, uh, his name's Andy Peterson, uh, still a very close friend of mine. He, uh, he lost his father uh, his senior year of high school to cancer. And his mom was on like kind of, you know, she's not doing good. Good. She's she had cancer as well. Um, she she had uh, she ended up passing after the World Series that year. Um, so PD PD's like in a tough spot, and you know him losing his father, me me losing my brother at the time. Um, we, you know, we had uh, we'd had some long talks at our house. Um, you know, so. So when that last out was recorded, uh, Ryan Barnes ground ball to uh, shortstop, flipped it to second. Um, I was just kind of like standing in the dugout, and I look over, and uh, PD. I feel like he did it on purpose because he wanted me to cry. <laughs> like <laughs> PD just like beelines over to me and just like wraps me up, just like gives me a big hug, and he just says, "I'm so sorry." And, uh, you know, cause he just knew like, that was it for me. Like, it's like baseball, like, I'm not going to go anywhere. I'm not getting drafted. Like, uh, you know, I'm not going to play, uh, after this, like this, like that was the last out I get to ever be a part of, um, mm. you know, him, him being a junior at the time, like he's got another year. Um, you know, so he just like gives me this big uh, hug and he says, I'm so sorry. And, um, you know, a lot, a lot of guys, you know, made sure to come over and talk to me because they, they knew how much I. I really sold out for, for that season. And, uh, I really put like everything I had into getting as far, like winning as many games as I could. Like, I just want to win. Um, you know, and uh, I was very vocal about it to the team and, uh, you know, I was very vocal about it during the college world series tournament, you know, that like, we're not going home without, without the gold medal. Um, so yeah, when, uh, when that happened, it was really tough. Uh, I spent a lot of time in the locker room, kind of like collecting myself as like, you know, a lot of athletes do, you know, when a season ends. Mm-hmm. Um, and I finally, you know, was, I was the last guy in the locker room, uh, you know, at the, I, I went through the tunnel, went out to, uh, went out to get on the bus 
uh, and there, there my parents were. And, um, you know, I gave a, gave my mom a hug and a kiss on the cheek. And then, uh, I gave my dad a hug and that, that was kind of like the, that was the one, you know, like my, my dad, my, my little league coach, um, you know, the, the guy that used to throw me wiffle balls in the backyard when I was seven years old, uh, you know, after you just got done from a long day of work, you know, building power lines and, uh, you know, scaling up poles all day and like working his butt off, building a house, logging out the front yard. Um, you know, so when I gave him a hug, that all just like hit me in the face and, uh, him and I had a pretty good cry out there in front of the bus. But, um, yeah, man, that was a, that was a tough, tough day, but it was, it was a lot of reflection. It was something that, uh, you know, you know, the, the, the way my, my parents and I embraced in the, you know, in front of the bus was like, uh, something we're all very proud of, you know, like with, with the journey that, that, uh, that we were all able to make. Like it was a distraction, you know, the, the Oregon state trip was, uh, like the whole, the whole thing, the whole Oregon state journey was a, um, was a thing that like we desperately needed as a family. Uh, yeah. you know, with everything that had happened, like with my grandfather and my brother, um, like we just needed, we needed something, you know? So, um, yeah. And then, you know, when it was over, it was, uh, it was over, but we were, we were so happy, you know, to, to have, to have had that moment and had that journey. Yeah. And, um, what an in- incredible thing to have accomplished and yeah I can understand how after all the tragedy that your family endured to have something so amazing and miraculous happen for you you know something that you cultivated it really must have been a great way to be released from some of that pain that you all went through so it's amazing man um are you uh are you married not married. Okay. No girlfriend. Just living in Arizona with two other dudes. Do you? I'm just curious what, how you think about life and kids and going forward after going through what you went through with your brother. I, I just, you say it's the best thing that's ever happened to you, which, you know, implies that it's kind of a life affirming way that you interpret it or the way that affect it affected you. But how have you, how has that experience with your brother, the accident with your brother informing the way that you live now and how do you, and how you see the world and how you want to go forward? Oh man, that's a good question. Um, I think, I think really what it, would it tell I think what it's given me most is, um, like I, I've, I've said perspective a lot, but like, I, I really think it's just like a very unique perspective on, on the world and, and, and on people. Um, I'm very, uh, I'm very much more in tune with, uh, my thoughts, very much more in tune with, um, who I am and, I'm also very conscious of 
my stress of the way I react, the way I talk, the way, like the way my body language is. Um, I'm very conscious of those things. And, um, and I see it on a lot of people and it's, um, not to sound, uh, like, like, you know, like I'm better than people, but, um, you know, it does make me feel, feel bad for people that don't, you know, see things the way that I do that, um, you know, drive like idiots or, uh, you know, I don't know, just like, just all the little things, all, all the little things, uh, I always see now for, for, for some reason, I'm always, I'm always catching people that, you know, like I have, there's like a few words that I just like, don't like to say, I don't like to say the word try. I just don't like it. You know, just don't like the word try. I don't, I don't like the word hope either. Uh, I don't like to use it. And like when people say those words, just kind of like stings. It's like, man, why, Is that just why because, would you hope? So you're more just like, if you, if you want something, you should make it happen in more of like a do attitude. Is that what you're, that's yeah. Mean? Okay. Yeah. And I mean, like a lot of it stems back from like my childhood and like some of it stems from coach K as well. You know, I was like, I remember my sophomore year, I was lined up against Justin Meza, who's like the biggest running back on the team. And he was like, you know, he had all these accolades as a high school running back and we were hitting each other in practice and, uh, it was even numbers. So I always kept getting matched up with Justin and he kept, he was just clobbering me into the ground and coach K grabs me. I'm a sophomore. This dude's a senior. He's massive. And he's like, Hey, like you stick this guy at the line. And I said, I'm sorry, coach. I'm trying. Hmm. And he said, quit trying and fucking do it. And then he punched me in the face mask. And like, that was one of those things where it was like, Oh, you're right. Like I can't, like, he just told me like, you can do it. Mm. Like stop being, just like said, stop being, stop being a little kid, grow up, you know? And I was a little kid. I weighed buck 30 and I was just getting run over by this dude. And like at the end of practice, like Justin had to stop hitting me because I was, I just like kept hitting him over and over as hard as I could. And Justin like tapped out, like I ended up winning, like he was just done, mm. you know? So like, there's those things is just like, I, I have just like different sites that people do and, you know, like people that complain like, Oh, I don't, I don't have Wi-Fi. Like this Wi-Fi sucks. I'm like, dude, you don't get it, man. Like <laughs> I'm happy to be alive and you're complaining about the Wi-Fi. Like, what are we talking about, man? Like, what's going on here? So do you think it's, that experience has made you a little bit more immune to kind of the minutia that many of us get stuck in, in day-to-day life where, you know, so much of life can be so kind of tragically mundane. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering if that near-death experience and the death of your brother has helped you kind of connect with the preciousness of life in a way that it wouldn't have otherwise, or you wouldn't be able to otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's definitely like the main reason to why I say it's the best thing that's ever happened to me. And like, I'm not, um, immune to like getting caught up in those things. Like I, I very, I very much do like complain about the Wi-Fi, or like, 
complain that my new shoes got dirty or, you know, whatever the, the stupid little things that like really don't matter at all. Like, it, like I'll let it bug me, but the thing that, that I have that, you know, fortunately and unfortunately not a lot of other people have is like the ability to be like, Oh wait, I don't care. Like it doesn't matter. Like I'm alive. We're good. Like it's fine. I'm breathing. Everything's good. Not, there's not a problem in the world. So yeah. What are you up to now? Um, working at driveline, uh, it's like a, uh, data driven, uh, training facility, uh, built out of Seattle and, um, it's been very interesting. Uh, you know, me being the old school mental focused, uh, baseball player and coach that I've, that I've always been, I have like fully, uh, been fully engaged in the new like tech, uh, like data world that we're living in and um yeah it's it's pretty cool we do um a lot of fun stuff we've got a biomechanics lab um it's it's pretty interesting we've got uh some pretty pretty outrageously smart r&d um people on staff that like blow my blow my mind on a daily basis on like different ways to like think and talk baseball so that's mm. been uh that's been very very interesting um for me and are you able to bring some of the same intensity and attitude that you brought as a player into your professional life now is that giving you the same kind of jolt or at least something close yeah i think it's it's something i have to remind myself of every once in a while but um it's definitely uh the thing that uh attracts a lot of people to to me i think um because, you know, in, in, in the world we're living in, at least in the baseball, we're going through this crazy wave of, uh, you know, analytics and research and development and, you know, a lot of, uh, like, weeding through, like, what, what makes sense, what matters, and, like, getting away from, like, the old school thoughts. Um, whereas, like, I'm in the middle of all of those, like, uh, all those numbers and... I'm like the most old school, like brute yelling like, <laughs> type of type of character. So um, it really, it really throws, throws people off, but it really gets, you know, you know, it, a lot of people like to engage with me, um, you know, mm -hmm. with just like, you know, like how I am and like how I communicate. It's, it's very different from, from the new age uh, you know, I, I've got, I've got all of the new age knowledge and information, but I communicate it in the old school way. Yeah, that's great. Now, quick question on that. Cause I'm so fascinated with that kind of transition. So I'm a, I'm now a data scientist for my day job. And then I'm, I obviously played baseball and then basketball in college. And so I'm really intrigued by all the new data techniques that are coming out. Baseball kind of pioneered the analytics space and now basketball and football are innovating really quickly too. And, you know, I'm a, a kind of, of of two minds. Like, of course, I, I am convinced by good arguments, mathematical arguments about, you know, three point shots are so much more valuable than two point shots. So it makes sense to shoot more of them. Um, there are things that I'm really convinced by, but there's other instances where I feel like nerds who write code like me, 
especially ones who've never played, can overinterpret data, and they don't really understand how. It's almost like the, it's almost like they view sports as if you were playing it's like a video a, game. Yeah, I was just going to say it's like a video game where you, you're not really taking into account the psychological aspect of the players, and they're not. You don't have a toggle on them to just control the way they move and play. And then in basketball, it's like there's a there's a synergy to the game, and there's a lot of hidden variables and hi- hidden influences that I think an old school coach might be accidentally capturing even in it's just not captured in some of these new models, right? Kind of like the way a, an old religion captures certain truths that if you just think from first principles as a modern person, you can pave over all of that thinking it's all stupid, but you're really kind of, you're, you're, you're throwing out the baby with the bathwater, if that makes sense. Right. So I'm wondering where you stand with all of this new exciting data, but trying to integrate that into a real actionable plan strategy for that make players play better. Like, you know, you saw that in the world series this year, right? With pulling that pitcher when he was having such a great game. Um, was that the world series? It must've been. Yeah. So how do you think about that friction and where do you stand on the new improvements and how they might be misused in some cases, or you can take any thread you want there. No, so I mean that's actually that's a perfect way to explain who I am to our like data scientists mm-hmm. because um, we've got a handful of guys on staff um, that do an incredible job at, like interpreting the data and like like making it actionable for like our players. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are those little nuances, you know, to things. So um, for the for the baseball savvy people, um, something like uh, something like pitch selection is some, or like swing decisions. Like if we're going to measure swing decisions off of a pitching machine, you know, the pitching machine is doing the same pitch over and over, and you're getting graded on these pitches. Well, how do I know? So like we have these like swing decision grades. It's like, hey, this guy's a really good swing decision maker. Um, well, like, what if the machine just threw it down the middle every time? Mm. Like he's just not making decisions. He's just swinging all the time. Mm. You know. Um, so, so now I'm like, well, how does this work in a game? You know, like, do we just have to tell the pitcher, hey, you have to throw fastballs down the middle every pitch? Like he's not going to do that. Like that's not that's not the game. Um, yeah. you know, so, so there is, there is those differences where like we, we can only get so close with, with training because that's, that's what we do. We don't, we don't have an actual team. We just work, we work in the training world. So what we do is we raise everybody's ceiling to make them good at baseball. But if you, you know, but if you're not very good at baseball and we make you throw 97 miles an hour, we, you're still just not very good at baseball. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't like you can be really good because you throw ninety seven now. But now you gotta go learn how to play baseball. Yeah. You know, so that's where the artistic side of coaching comes in. Um, you know, that like the the quantitative analysts and the guys like that, they're just not gonna know. Um, so that's kinda where I'm like the uh I'm like the guy that like keeps everybody in check 
at driveline <laughs> yeah um where it's like hey like let's not forget about the game you know where like we really like to get wrapped up in like uh the data and like um you know different tendencies and different things that we're seeing and then it's like let's not forget about like the person like this is a you know as a hitter you have to like have a lot of confidence like hey this guy's like a very scared person like we have to you know we have to talk to him differently you know we can't just like force feed him all these numbers and like he's going to be good all of a sudden like there is a way to handle this human being that's that's going to be different than a lot of other people um that we need to be able to execute on from like a human level um in order to see the jumps that we need to see for him to be good at baseball um so yeah there there's definitely like you know there's a cognitive piece that uh like i like technology is not is very far behind on being able for us to measure and and then be able to train so like it's still very artistic and yeah. just like how to make like these developmental moves yeah that's well, a cool role that you're in where you can help bridge the gap and give the because you know what it's like to be between the lines and so you can try to help integrate some of these cool new innovations without getting so theoretical that you don't really that these ideas aren't even really tracking what it's like yeah. to actually be on the field so yeah that's great okay i've got two more questions and they're both maybe you can give some advice to mm -hmm. somebody who's listening here mm -hmm. so first somebody's in high school they're being recruited they're trying to pick a school um and find a good fit and they want to play baseball or, or some sport in college do you have any advice for someone who is looking for a good fit um maybe keep in mind the fact that you're an outlier in terms of like the mental fortitude to be able to walk on to oregon state and <laughs> become a starter so yeah. what do you uh, what, what kind of advice would you give to just your average good high school athlete who wants to find a good fit in college um i would I would talk a lot with the coaches and not just once. Um, I would, I would try and communicate with them, um, pretty often and, and really just gauge like their, their type of person. Um, obviously like if we're, if we're, if we're saying the, the program successes are the same, you know, like the, the, like they're both going to be like right around like upper tier of success in terms of like wins and losses. Um, if you're trying to gauge like fit, I would really, you know, talk to the coaches as often as you can and really try and pick them apart. Um, because like, those are the, those are the people that are, that are taking you from a young man or woman into your adulthood. And like, that's a very important phase of your life. Um, and like at Oregon state and at, and at my junior college, like I was very lucky to be like helped along and guided by, uh, like these great men. Um, so I think, you know, if, if we're, if we're keeping the like wins and loss column out of it, um, I would really try and dig into what these people are about, you know, like how involved, how engaged with their families are they like, um, like how, how engaged with the alumni are they? Like how much do they care about the people that have left their program? 
like those things are very important. That's something that, you know, I, I didn't realize until after, like, I didn't, I didn't realize this mattered until after I was done with Oregon state, but, um, like I'm, I'm very proud to be an alumni and I'm, I'm very proud of the network that I have and all the, all the guys that played in 1996, like I can call any one of them and, uh, they'll, they'll help me along, you know, cause, cause they know that, that we share that same, that same brotherhood and that same passion. We all went through the similar things and like, it's an, it's an important thing to us. So I think just like how the coaching staff cares about not just the, the people, not just the, like the current players, not just their, their family and, you know, the players that have, that have moved on. Like, I, I think that that all matters, um, you know, for like when you're, when you're trying to pick a school, you know, I think guys having, you know, people having pride and, and where they came from and who they played for. I, I think that's important. Nice. Yeah. That's good advice. And last question. And this, you know, I, uh, I'm not sure there is great advice for this because it might be very personal and unique and individual, but what about advice for someone who goes through some kind of real tragedy like you went through? Do you have anything that you've learned or that you experienced that you would have done differently? What would you say to someone who, you know, because that kind of tragedy is, you know, some kind of tragedy is coming for all of us, whether it's us or someone we love, like that stuff's waiting for everyone. So I'm wondering if you have any insight for how to, to deal with that when it happens. Oh man, it's, uh, it is unique, but, um, I guess, I guess what I would say is em embrace it, you know, in time, of course, but embrace it, like find why it's helping you. Hmm. Um, I, I think that's the most important part of it is it's, it's something that you can take um and and make yourself better out of uh it's it hurts it's really hard it's not easy it's so easy to say and it, it's so hard to do but i think just like finding a way to to look at it and say like if i i you know if if this didn't happen to me um i wouldn't be able to do you know, these things, I wouldn't be able to think in this way. Like even just like changing your thought is, is a win. Like it's a victory for you. Um, yeah, I, I would just say like, try, try and find, you know, the, I guess the silver lining, but you know, there's, there's always a way to look at something and say like, this made me a little bit better. Um, hmm. as, as hard as it may, as maybe, but there's, yeah. there's something in there. Okay. Thank you, Max. Uh, this has been a really, really, really great experience for me to go through this with you. And um, you've got an incredible story. It's really inspiring. So thank you for, for coming on the podcast. And I'll be excited to, uh, to share this with the people who listen. It's going to be great. Absolutely, man. Yeah, no, I appreciate you having me on. Maybe we can schedule a part two someday and... I um, wish you the best of luck with the driveline stuff. So, yeah, thank you again, Max. Yeah, sounds good, man. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the podcast. A reminder that my new book is coming out soon, and it's available for pre-order on Amazon. It's called Harder Than I Thought, Easier Than I Feared, 
the subtitle Sports, Anxiety, and the Power of Meditation. I think the book will be interesting and useful to committed athletes, coaches, and parents of young athletes. So if you're interested or if you know someone who's interested, you can either click or share the link in the show notes or visit billyhanson.net forward slash book. This book took about three years to write and complete, and I'm proud of it, and I hope that it helps other young athletes. Thank you again for listening, and I'll see you here for the next episode. sauce.